Welcome to Ye Old Franchise Kila. I'm Reese. Across me, we have David. To his left, Irina. And no Noah tonight. He's gone yet again. No. He's hanging out with the sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, he's uh, off in Sherwood Forest <laughs> yep. uh, getting drunk on mead. Um, but he'll be with us next week. But shouting to the peetle, pe- peetle. <laughs> <laughs> but shouting to the people of Nottingham, are ye not entertained? We have AJ. And that was a gladiator reference. Whoa! Like Russell, what? Russell Is that Crowe what that was? Ridley Scott. Man, I may or may not have had. You a- watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> How could you mix mix that up with George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger? What? Wait a second, George Clooney. I mean, back to the Ice Age classic stuff. Oh, Ice Age? the what? Batman. Batman and Robin. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> oh, like like little little John. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. A uh, good one. Uh, AJ for the second time in his own hand picked uh, miniseries has gone and watched the wrong movie. Uh, I regret to inform you, we are not covering Batman and Robin. We're in fact covering a movie that you picked for us to watch, Robin Hood twenty ten. But before we oh, go yeah, into that, that, sounds right. <laughs> Before we go into that, I fudged our intro. So for those that are new, uh, this is a podcast where we pick movie franchises or wannabe franchises, review them film by film, and see where things went wrong. All right. Is that supposed to be Russell Crowe? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander to the legions of Nottingham. I don't even know. He has like a, vi- a faint British accent in this. Like, a, like it's barely... There doesn't he sometimes have more of a Scottish accent? I don't think I so. Don't think he so definitely either. doesn't sound. <laughs> he definitely like doesn't. That. <laughs> uh, but back to the movie again. It's Robin Hood, the 2010 edition. Since we have a glut of Robin Hoods now, we have to distinguish them from one another. Distribute them to the poor. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm starting to have a, a sneaking suspicion that AJ, you ordered this intentionally. Uh, to beginning with the worst and ending with maybe I don't know maybe the best but maybe maybe the way you structured this was to not have us lowball Robin Hood 2010 in because you knew 2018 might be the the real the real stinker. Am I wrong in assuming that? Uh, variety of reasons. I wanted to start off with a, a lowball, yes. Yeah. Um, and then kind of swing the opposite direction from the stylistic impressions that 2018 left us with and go completely on the other side of the pendulum there and more of the real gritty quote unquote true story. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it works out because we're going backwards uh, chronology chronologically, Mm -hmm. excuse me uh, from when these were released. uh, So more recent film adaptations to older. Yeah. For the Robin hood ones, the trilogy or three, three movies here. And for those that didn't listen to the past episode covering the 2018 Robin Hood, this is the second film in AJ's miniseries, The Hoods from Other Hoods miniseries, all about Robin Hood and Robin Hood-esque characters, uh, steal from the rich, give to the poor, uh, tale of legend from various different uh, regions of the world. Is that a fair uh, summation? Yeah, kind of your your um, yeah Robin Hood myth or outlaw folk hero cultural legend kind of stuff 
Yep. And the movie is directed by Ridley Scott. I think this is his second time on the board for us. Uh, mis- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only other Ridley Scott movie we've talked about is Blade Runner. Uh, is that right? I think so. Never Ending Story 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, funny you say that because Ridley Scott did direct a very weird fantasy movie that I would not normally associate with him. That one being Legend. Uh, Actually a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah, some would debate that, but I- I'd put it in that same. Ca- <laughs> I enjoy it. I'd put it in the same category as Never Ending Story in terms of like. Never Ending Story, you can throw it in there with Labyrinth and other like strange mm-hmm. movies that exist just because, you know, some weird person decided to put it out there. And <laughs> I love that. Cool. Yeah, it's something that you could never see getting made today. Mm-mm. Like it's not like this had it was of a time and of a place where y- yeah. you could get away with something like that. Yeah, but to enlighten y'all to his filmography, most of y'all probably know already, but I handpicked some of his bigger works with these big with these directors who have been around for like 50 years. I'm not going to go through every single one as tempted as I would be to do so. Uh, so let's start from the beginning. We've got Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, American Gangster, Prometheus, The Martian, Alien Covenant, and most recently, The Last Duel and House of Gucci. And he's got two upcoming films. This guy works. Like, he just, even at, he's like 85 years old, and he's working on two more movies. One, which is, I think, almost done, and the other one that's in pre-production right now. That guy has to be going just as long as Steven Spielberg right now. Yeah. Stevie Spiels. And he's sticking with... He's in his 90s. He's at 85 currently. Oh. Yeah, but, I mean, might as well be. Uh, he right. and Clint Eastwood are the 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 geezers holding up the uh, the uh, the the area back there. I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> old people old directors. Yeah. Uh, but his the, the upcoming two are big historical epics. He's doing a Napoleon movie with Joaquin Phoenix, starring as Napoleon. Uh, mm. That's supposed to be a big big budget, massive production Little man movie. Yeah, and uh, Gladiator Two is finally happening. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. I thought that was Robert the Bruce. No. (laughs) Oh, is that a history joke? No, there's actually a relationship in the production. Oh, well, maybe. All I know is it's it's unofficially titled Gladiator 2 and... It's not going to be like, oh, Russell, there was the a, this original, kind of yeah, there's this original idea that it was going to be Russell Crowe fighting his way out of heaven into earth, like some really crazy, fantastical idea and uh, scrapped that it looks like, and it's going to be a more down to earth uh, story about the emperor's son that we got to know in the first gladiator and him taking on the, I guess the, the throne maybe. So that'll be interesting. I'm more down with that idea because it sounds more plausible in term like that. Not, not, but I'm also like, what? What a weird idea that yeah. other Gladiator script. Yeah, as like. uh, trying to prevent Pontius Pilate and all that stuff. I don't know. It was a yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> weird non sequitur from the first movie. Yeah, uh, but this Robin Hood movie we're talking about it. It makes the uh, it, it gives. Ridley Scott, his third, this is his third foray into historical epic territory. First being Gladiator, Gladiator, second being Kingdom of Heaven. And uh, if you haven't seen that movie, watch the director's cut, not the theatrical. It's uh, pretty close to a, a masterpiece, movie. I'd say. Yeah, and a different movie. A a movie yeah. that makes sense, I would say. Uh, 
But yeah, Robin Hood closes out the three. And while we're not reviewing it yet, I think even from the outset, this looked like, oh, maybe this will like how how is he going to finagle his way into making this equal to those other two in terms of scope and scale? And we'll leave the uh, we'll leave that till till our uh, story talk to see if he's successful in doing so. And if that was the right choice for this movie. Spoiler alert, money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the movie stars Russell Crowe, Kate Blanchett, William Hurt, Mark Strong, Mark Addy, Oscar Isaac, Danny Houston, Eileen Atkins, and Max von Sydow. Or Cito. Cito. I've I heard both Sydow. ways. Well, that's how I heard it anyway. Uh, crazy cast for this one, especially looking back. I know Oscar Isaac w- wasn't as big at this point, but now you look back and see Oscar <laughs> Isaac in there, and you're, you're just like, wow, just talent left and right in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh even at, like, Leia Sato as well. She's been in a lot of stuff. And Glorious Bastards. And uh, the James Bond movies, the latest two. Oh, Daniel yeah, Craig, right. she was the main love interest. Um, got a screenplay by Brian Helgeland and a story by Brian Helgeland, Ethan Reif, and Cyrus Voris. That's a name. It's very close to Cyrus the Virus from... Uh, <laughs> Matrix? No, from Con Air. Oh, Con Air, that's right. <laughs> it's the same actor, though. Why did my brain make that connection? Yeah. And AJ, I'm going to go to you. This is based off the the legend Robin Hood. Is there a text that uh, Ridley Scott pulled from or is this just trying to be like a a, a different interpretation of the, the actual historical tellings of what happened at the time? Yeah, um, there are, you know, big source materials for the, the Robin Hood legend, uh, but the claim of this movie and, and Ridley Scott was to bring this kind of down to earth, cut through the the myth and at least get some groundwork done for building the reality of it and, and contextualize it historically, you know, with King John and the Magna Carta and all this stuff. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, a lot of historical realisms, I guess you could say that uh, historicity uh, attempted here. There are some anachronisms, which is going to happen. But yeah. I've heard um, it's very inaccurate, but people respect the effort to at least like make it uh, the sets and the design of everything is more accurate than the actual story. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I guess in that vein, I wouldn't say very inaccurate, you know, and, you know, you have a varying degree of interest in history among your viewing audience. So I would say that people who are interested in history tend to be hyper uh, aware and honed in on inaccuracies and other people are, you know, not as critical of it. Uh, so, you know, those verbal criticisms are probably a little bit amplified, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. And, you know, the same thing happens with, you know, even Gladiator, of course, Braveheart. And the the cool thing about this is, yes, you know, it's not a history textbook. It's not hard science uh, for what the story we're receiving here. But a lot of history is embellished, you know, history is written by the victors. So there is some discussion room. And this is, at the end of the day, uh, a legend, a myth, a folk tale almost that has grown through, you know, even contemporary tellings. Mm. Um, So, you know, I don't immediately discount anything by that wasn't at this time exactly or, or something like that. Yeah. So for those that are new to this show... On this podcast, we first go over our thoughts on the film before revisiting it for the episode. Then we dive into the story, break it down bit by bit, and talk about the more significant moments. 
Then towards the end of the show, we give our brief reviews and numbered scores, along with an analysis on the health of the franchise and whether or not this film hurt it. So, AJ, we're starting with you. Had you seen Ridley Scott's Robin Hood before your uh, prep for this episode? I had. Uh, this one was actually one that I did see in theaters. Um, and Reese and I were kind of talking. We think we saw it together in theaters, but we're not 100% sure. I do re- just remember that I did see it in theaters um, and have distinct memories of what my expectations were going into it. I didn't have high expectations, but you know, I was familiar with Robin Hood because Robin Hood has been done countless times in you know, different styles already. So you already have an image in your mind of Robin Hood. Um, and was a big fan of Russell Crowe. So, you know, I appreciated the the twist of, you know, the, the expectations there. But I'll save my other thoughts for later. Uh, but I have seen this relatively recently, probably within the last six months as well. You know, I do enjoy the film overall enough to, to watch it every now and then. And I did watch the director's cut for this uh, rather than the theatrical. Yeah, I believe actually uh, we'll get that out of the way most of us I think all of us watched the director's cut for this. In fact, we did. And I'll just piggyback off of what you said, AJ, since you alluded to it. I do. I, yeah, I'm kind of fuzzy on whether we saw this in theaters together or not. It was a this was a time when I watched a lot of movies in theaters and whoever was available. We'd like, hey, you want to go see the movie? Sure. Uh, we'd go see it. And for the movies, well, that- I know how the high the bar is for me. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant by that. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm just saying, like, it, whoever is free, you go see the movie yeah. with them. But, yeah, I saw this saw this in theaters for sure. And I remember... Uh, I Okay, I was a big, and still am, a big Russell Crowe fan. So he was my, my like, guarantor. If I was going to, like, I don't know if I'd go see this Robin Hood movie if Rus- at the time if Russell Crowe weren't in it. Because he was coming off of movies like American Gangster. Uh, Taken was around there. Taken is Liam Neeson. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I get why. You didn't you, see oh, Russell Crowe in that one? Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was one of those guys. No, that not took them. any of the six of them or however yeah. many there are now. But he had a, a real great run leading up to this where it was, yeah, American Gangster, uh, Master and Commander, uh, uh, what's that one where he's like par- he has the disease? He's like a paranoid or beautiful mind. Be- a beautiful, beautiful mind. mind. Yes, yeah. I'm a big fan of that movie as well. Yeah, Cinderella Man. Uh, obviously, it start kind of kicked off with Gladiator. I mean, he was known for things before that, but like he he just had. I don't think he had a miss to his name in this decade. So it was like, oh yeah, you go see the Russell Crowe movie because it's I love Russell Crowe and yeah, and I'll leave my opinions on the movie at that. Um, David. How about you? I have never seen this movie. I've seen the cover, that whole like close up of uh, Russell Crowe's face. Not not Liam Neeson, uh, definitely not that guy. Um, <laughs> They're similarly rugged dudes. One is twenty years older than the other. Not twenty, fifteen years older than the other. But yeah, it's all right. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I had not heard of it really. I think I think I may have seen the cover. That's why I was saying that. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> so I was trying to I was trying like to find ways to yeah. rephrase that or get something. So better. you weren't no. working in the theater at the time. Actually, you don't remember trailers I for this. was that man may have came out right before I started summer the 2010. I think I may have started at the theater then, but I don't remember this one in theater. So, but hmm. I was working. All of us have hazy memories at this time. Interesting. <laughs> so all of the weed. Irina, how about you? 
Um, I am not a very motivated person when it comes to watching movies in theaters. So this was one of those where I saw the trailer. Very much love Russell Crowe, so I was excited about it. Some months pass by and I find out, oh yeah, it was in theaters and it's long gone by now. So I think <laughs> like it <me>. was <laughs> it was Reese that <clears throat> I think just asked the group, like, have you guys seen uh, the new Robin Hood? Nope. He's like, here, I'll put it on. I'm, I did. Ah, yeah, Reese, you can't. I don't think I did that you for did. this one. You did. I, I was there for that, that one. Yep. It's getting annoying. Well, it's. I think there are times where you come to visit, uh, you put a movie on, and then you have to leave. So you may not have a full memory of doing it because you you weren't there for the whole watching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, interesting. <laughs> Hazy well, memories all abound. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, that's either due to something we were doing or a, a fault of the movie. We'll we'll decipher that. With that said. AJ, you want to take it away with that story? Robin Longstride, also known as Robin of the Hood. For the crimes of incitement to cause unrest, I declare him to be an outlaw! All who shelter him, alive shall be taken on sight. Nail, please. It seems we are to share my chamber. I sleep with a dagger. If you so much as move to touch me, I will sever your manhood. Thanks for the warning. Robin, your father was a great man. You are your father's son. As many men as you need. Are you ready to be who you are? Yes. is liberty. Liberty by law. Rise and rise again until lambs become lions. In 1199, Robin Longstreet serves as a common archer in the army of King Richard the Lionheart. A veteran of Richard's crusade, he now takes part in the siege of Chalot Castle, disillusioned and war-weary. He gives a frank but unflattering appraisal of the king's conduct when the king asks for it, and Robin and his comrades, archers Alan Adale and Will Scarlet, and soldier Little John are locked in the stocks. After the king is killed during an attack on the castle, Robin and his comrades manage to free themselves and desert. They come across an ambush of the English royal guard by Godfrey, an English knight who has conspired with King Philip of France to assassinate King Richard. After chasing Godfrey away, Robin takes advantage of the situation, impersonating the dead English knights to return to England. But before they depart to sail across the channel, he promises a dying knight, Sir Robert Loxley to return his sword to his father in Nottingham. Awakening to find their ship arrived in the Thames estuary, Robert must continue to assume the identity of Loxley to inform the royal family of King Richard's death. He witnesses the coronation of King John, who orders the collection of harsh new taxes. William Marshall, the Lord Chancellor since the days of John's father, opposes the new taxes and is relieved of his opposition by John. 
The new king dispatches Godfrey to the north to collect the taxes, unaware that Godfrey will instead use French troops to stir up unrest and prepare for King Philip to invade England. In secret, spies working for Marshall follow Godfrey's men and learn of the planned invasion of England. Robin and his companions head to Nottingham, where Loxley's elderly and blind father, Sir Walter, asks him to continue impersonating his son to prevent the crown from seizing the Loxley's family lands. Loxley's widow, Lady Marion, is initially cold towards Robin, but warms to him when he and his men recover grain for the townsfolk to plant. I want to say, like, my original, and this was my original impression of this movie, theatrically, I was not very impressed. Hmm. Uh, I felt the movie to be plodding, kind of meandering, bland. I felt that Russell Crowe was minorly miscast. I did not hate the movie. I, w- I remember being like straight middle down the road when I saw, the- and this was the theatrical cut, and I should have done the due diligence and uh, looked up the differences because it's been so long. 15 minutes of runtime, slight character depth improvements, but nothing major. Yeah, like... Not, it's not a Blade Runner or a Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, but I don't know what it was, but maybe it was its placement after 2018. The fact that I was watching it with uh, AJ and just maybe just admi- more admiring of Ridley Scott as a filmmaker since my first viewing of it, it, it immediately off the bat seems better than I remembered it uh, being. Like, I was... I, I felt more th- thoroughly invested especially with the musical score and just like the the beautiful cinematography, uh, at least in these opening minutes here. How, how did y'all feel upon, like at the beginning of this, before we were even really introduced to Russell Crowe? Um, I think I was, one of the first things I said was, I, like I turned to David and I said, I'm already more invested than I was in the previous movie that we saw. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> well, it's not hard to do. Positive. <laughs> uh, David? This is uh, a competent filmmaker. This is some somebody you who don't knows, say. Well, it's <laughs> one of those things where it didn't grab me a hundred percent, but you know, you look at it and you're like, yeah, this guy automatically in one scene makes his movie look better than the last couple movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's definitely more on point. And when you start seeing the big set pieces in the beginning, like when we actually get to the battle scenes, mm-hmm. um, I I really appreciate those. And again, it's weird. This is one of those movies where in the beginning I still couldn't quite make up my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I kept appreciating. It's a rare occurrence where like I just didn't know how to feel, but I liked what I was watching. Yeah. I don't know how to say. Yeah, a- AJ, what was your frequency in watching this movie since it came out in theaters? Had had you been you know up to date with it, or was this a pretty fresh watch? So. Kind of how I alluded to, I've seen it a, a few times since the theaters uh, because, you know, it's at a high enough level where I appreciate the style and kind of the storytelling approach uh, in general to, to have on. But uh, yeah, within the last six months, I had seen it again and then just last night, of course, for this. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, seeing it now through, you know, a little bit more, you know, looking at technical aspects and, and filmmaking there's a bit more appreciation. I do remember going into the movie at, at the theater, you know, kind of seeing the trailers and hyped up for, you know, I remember the trailer had, you know, that kind of spoils the big long shot. And so, you know, you've got this action um, and I appreciate it. Action. I love Gladiator. Of course, I love the historical kind of fiction stuff and mm-hmm. great set pieces, great, you know, battle scenes. But, you know, I kind of missed 
the Robin Hood what I, that I was expecting. I appreciated the the kind of table setting for it, but remember wanting more actual Robin Hood, the the myth, um, yeah, the man, the legend. Um, yeah, it's kind of an origin story. Um, it, 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 I, yeah. it, I think it should have you been had a, a subtitle like Ro- Robin Hood, like the beginning or something. Not not something that cheesy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it, it was a movie that didn't turn out how I was expecting it to. I didn't know a lot going into it other than trailers. So, uh, Russell Crowe and the cast in general, you know, are are great. And Russell Crowe, I didn't really, f- you know, find fault with him in particular in his delivery. And I mean, he, he has good chemistry with the the three merry men that are presented here, and and Marion and, and Sir Walter, and you know. I, some people feel he's, I mean, you kind of said he, you thought he was miscast a little bit. Yeah, he's not an Errol Flynn. He's not kind of jocular and jovial and stuff, but I could get behind at least the, the premise of it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, and some people, you know, fault find him for accent and stuff, and I'm not that critical of it, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, di- I stand firm to an aspect of what I originally thought about his casting, but I am, I've shifted completely on a different a- aspect yeah. where it's like, I, th- I don't think he's miscast. I would have liked to see him do something a little bit different, though. Like, he is very much channeling the Maximus Meridius Gladiator. Right. Like, he's not grimdark, mm-hmm. but it's I, I kind of do want to see a more jovial Russell Crowe. Yeah. And he's shown that he can do that. Yeah. I don't like this he movie, has. but in Thor Love and Thunder, he stands out as this jovial goofball and, and he's like he's kind of delightful in in his weirdness in that movie i don't want him to be like a cartoon character but i do want to see a slightly different russell crowe here and i think that's one of the, the minor you know problems i have with this character yeah and you're you're absolutely right there and even i mean look at master and commander i mean we covered that a while ago but i remember i mean he's not uh as, as captain aubrey he's he's not you know overly enthusiastic and stuff but he you cracks know, and jokes and he plays violin yeah. and yeah, it's like <laughs> you know how he's juxtaposed against you know Paul Bettany's character and uh, a matron in the story and I mean he yeah, there's definitely more lightheartedness that he brings to the table. So I think some of that is also just the presentation of him on screen. Yeah, because you know he interacts people with people well. I mean, there's good you know chuckle lines with you know especially the merry men. But yeah, you want more merriment from the merry men and Robin leading them in that merriment. Yeah, the most you uh, get is from Little John, who's always like, "There's yeah. some funny moments there." Um, right. But so, do you all want to talk about this opening castle siege here? We're, we're kind of introduced, reintroduced to uh, what Ridley Scott does best is these massive stagings of like mostly practical battle. It, it would seem. Uh, what did y'all What did y'all think of this opening uh, sequence here? David, I guess we can go with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just always appreciate a good battle sequence. And I feel like in a lot of Robin Hood movies, or I mean, especially the 2018 one we watched, where it doesn't feel grand enough. Like they got like 20 guys and they're like, all right, we'll just have these guys simulate a big battle sequence. And you're like, that's not really what I'm here for. Um, Especially when you you have like country versus country battles, which Mm -hmm. this one is France versus England. Um, I they did a really good job with this. 
I like how you stage it like it's a Mortal Kombat game or something. All right, on one end we have France, and the well, other end we I have mean England. versus like no, on a smaller fight. scale, fight. like city to city thing, where yeah. a movies just it doesn't feel grand enough. And even in the opening sequence, where I'm sure most of the money went towards the ending sequence, they did a really good job of setting it up. I like the getting. I don't know if these are actual historically accurate tactile st- or tactical stuff, but like getting your shields over your heads and trying to fight. Um, oh yeah. Kind of the like the woven ram, yeah. together um, shield type barriers yeah. that we were using. If there's one thing that I, I I feel pretty safe or convinced that you don't have to uh, dig in too much about being accurate is like the the battle techniques, the siege mm-hmm. techniques that Ridley Scott. Uh, I feel like he's well researched in yeah in that. Although I did have one question: why they like when <laughs> there's a scene where he goes, "All right, soup's ready," and I'm like, "Is that wait was." Were they actually having soup, or was that for the oil they brought up? I couldn't quite tell because I thought they like actually had small bowls, and I was like, "Wait, you're in the middle of like it shooting is a joke." I don't know. You're shooting arrows right now. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even catch you did, that. Yeah, he goes, "Soup's ready," and like they were handing out bowls to archers, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> uh, I mean, a long day of fighting. You're gonna have to take snacks somewhere. It's true, D- David. As the as our resident uh, CGI effects guy specialist. Yeah, did you do any research on the uh, practical versus CGI in this movie? I, from the the layman, me, looking at it, I would say I look at this and it looks like ninety nine percent all there in the screen, like very little manipulation other than like camera filters. But enlighten us if you if you know anything extra. Yeah. Um. My instinct when I first watched it, which, you know, when I watch movies all the time, I try to guess before I look into it. Mm -hmm. And my guess was that this was mostly practical with um, mainly wide angle shot changes for like background scenery or duplication of of people or horses in fights and stuff like that. And I'm going to guess you're pretty much right. I was spot on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this movie, I mean, this one's not that hard to guess that one just because you see countryside and people walking around a lot. So it's like, oh, what are they going to CGI in this time? Yeah. Yeah. But in that opening sequence, I don't know if there was that much in that one minus the arrows. I know 100% those arrows were all CGI'd in. Oh, they weren't actually firing arrows at other Yeah, well, I mean, they some of them were real, but I was just impressed with how... (laughs) Yeah, I was just impressed with how well they did some of those. So, I mean, I didn't catch it the first time around. It was really well done. Yeah. But a lot of the the visual effects come towards the end of the movie, the last uh, sequence, and we can talk more about it when we get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in general... Sorry. No, go ahead. Just to interpose, like, you know, a lot of these, they're actual locations. Like, they did film in... Sherwood Forest, uh, Forest. Wow, Sherwood Forest. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you like Elmer Fudd? Like Sherwood yeah. Forest. Uh, <laughs> the actual, you know, actual castles and historical locations, and I think the battering ram in this battle scene was, you know, Russell Crowe like bought this legitimate battle, like he donated to the production. That's awesome. Uh, I would love to like, see him purchasing you know, that. The five figures or something like that, because <laughs> uh, it's actual historical. <laughs> battering ram. Probably brought it back like home the, to the to battering ram shop. He's just like yeah. looking between all these battering rams lined up. It'd be on the so wall. funny if that was like a, a a conversation piece in his mansion, just a big old battering ram on his dinner table. Like, oh, this is from the set of Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate, you know, in the battle sequence, the filming style too is not overly stylized. Like mm. even early, the gladiator, like kind of choppy slow mo. You don't see that here. You know, Ridley Scott focused on the detail and, and recreating 
kind of immerse the immersion without having to overly stylize it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Irina, I'm curious. Do these battle scenes do anything for you, or do your do your eyes glaze over waiting for the characters to interact with one another again? Actually, not so much in this one. It was it didn't overstay its welcome, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty well scattered throughout the film, but I do like the there's an element of this first siege where it it feels kind of like basically working class people just drudging it through another day, you know, of like, all right, here's just some more battle. Like we got to keep our spirits up with some quips back and forth where it's like, yeah, of course you guys are going to get all the credit for Mm -hmm. like getting in here or whatever. It's like, cause that's what you have to do. But, um, I kind of like seeing that aspect where it's not just, it's grit and grime, but kind of this sort of, a. Laughing in the face of danger that they need to have. Yeah, especially essentially. Danny Houston's character, the, yeah, the king of all people. I, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That was one of the comments I made watching it. Uh, was it William the Lionheart? Is that his name in this? Yes. Yeah. Richard. So Richard. Richard. Richard sorry. Yes. I spoke too soon. Yes. Richard the Lionheart. But I, I know he's just by the name itself, he's the guy who leads everyone into battle. But man, everyone else has shields up and like it's, it's a little more serious. And he's yeah. kind of like the only guy riding around on a horse. Just like cheering him on, like that's just a yeah. bad idea, guy. Like that's just a bad idea. AJ, I think it was you, but you said it, he had very Robert Baratheon energy. Yeah, uh, it's just like yeah. And you know, the going back to the the kind of the myth, you have uh, Prince John or King King John later set up as just you know all bad. Yeah. Uh, you know the the legend hands that down, and Richard the Lionheart is all good, and everybody yearns for the return of Richard. And here we see that Richard is a flawed. You know, character. He's not just, you know, spotless. Mm-hmm. You know, hero of the of the crusades mm-hmm. and all he, this stuff. And he's kind of uh, foolhardy. Oh yeah, and yeah. you know, still has the the pride and the ego because you know we almost want him. You know, when he talks to uh, Robin about you know, be honest with me. What do my people think of me? Or you know, such. Yeah, you want to believe in this Richard of of, of legend that he's noble. But no, he puts them in the stocks because he insult or they, his pride was hurt. Yeah, I like that kind of the realism approach to it. That's not overly wrought. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of going back to the history too is, you know, this battle at, at this castle is where Richard the Lionheart died, in in real real history. Um, it wasn't in the progression of things. Like here, it's kind of escalated from coming back from the Crusades and immediately in France. You know. Is this happens? It was kind of spaced out over a few more years in real life, but this is the actual location and event of his death. Yeah, yeah, and bef- and also too, a lot of Robin Hood storytelling is like Richard is all- never on screen; like he's always just you're hoping he comes back, and he's just never present, never comes back. Here, we're actually interacting with him and seeing him as who he was. Yeah, still a short stay, but he is at least a yeah, he's there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Danny Houston does a good job, in my opinion, channeling the uh, Richard Harris voice from Gladiator. Yes, that's like, what I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, pretty bad contacts he's wearing, by the way. Those blue contacts are kind of distracting. But yeah. Robin Longstride, <laughs> please tell me, did yeah. you put your name in the goblet of fire? We also <laughs> get the, the 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 first kind of formation of the what will become the merry men uh, led by uh, Kevin Durand's uh, little john he 
they have a, a friendly, not friendly, they, they get into fisticuffs after he feels like he's being cheated in this game that Robin Longstride's playing in the camp. And as men bond so intelligently after a good, you know, tussle, uh, they're buddies. Check to the um, chin. Yeah. <laughs> but they soon find themselves like uh, the king's dying and he wishes... Uh, Robin take take the sword and or the crown or, or something or other. It was the crown. Yeah, the crown to uh back to back to the home home front to oh, give to. No, the sword was his to take back to. Yeah, yeah. Wait, it was the sword. No, he's talking no, 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 about no, no, no. when the king dies. That Robert Locksley. Well, Robert yes. told him to Robert. Get, bring his, his sword back to his dad. Yeah. Someone yeah. take it away. I'll, I'll I'll I will not say this as well as someone else. <laughs> I'll let does. I'll let okay. do it. King Richard dies, and the the actual knighted. Sir Robert Loxley is the one tasked with returning the crown to mm-hmm. the royal court. Sir Robert Loxley is then uh ambushed. Oh, killed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah, what they're was. ambushed by the treacherous Godfrey and the, the French. Um, and Condre that's when he runs and, into Longstride. Yeah. Right. And okay. Longstride and Robin and his merry men had already escaped, kind of sensing the weather of what happens when the king dies, they're screwed. So they try to get out of Dodge before the rush, you know, everybody else is scrambling. But so it happens on the aftermath of the ambush. And so Robin comes across the dying Robert, who tasks him with returning his sword back to Nottingham. Yes, and this is- And so they are opportunists. They use that to impersonate actual knights so that they can be received home without being, you know, treated as deserters. I think that could have been, I, I maybe I was just talking too much while we were watching it, but I wanted that to be a little clearer, the consequences, like why, the motivation to doing this. Uh, I Okay, yeah, so they were deserters. I For whatever reason, that didn't dawn on me that that's why they were doing this. I thought there was some, like, they were just doing it because, oh, maybe we can get some sort of reward or something. Uh, uh, I definitely think they clarify a little bit, and I, maybe I didn't pick up exactly what AJ was saying, but to me, it was more like they were going to escape. I didn't even think if he didn't have to deliver the sword to Lockley, Loxley's father, I don't know if they would have impersonated the the uh, knights. That's just that's how I interpreted it. Like They were just going to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And then once he felt obligated to bring that sword back, um, and he's like, all right, well, might as well come up with a plan. Let's dress up as his knights and deliver the, the helmet. And then we'll have a reason to get back to England safely. So, yeah, I thought he hadn't fully decided to return the sword. I thought it was mostly, they were under the impression they would be dropped off at some point that it wouldn't be his sole purpose to bring the crown back. Mm, but they right. sort of find that out last minute. They're like, Oh crap, we're going straight to like <laughs> the yeah. castle. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a nice little moment of tension, too, and I, this is when we can talk about uh, Oscar Isaac, who portrays Prince John here, and his uh, queen-to-be, played by Léa Seydoux, again, another French name that I'll probably continue to butcher. David, th- David, this is your boy, uh, My boy, Oscar Isaac. I know you love Inside Lewin Davis and other stuff he's been in. He didn't uh, recognize him at first. So, okay, I did. But and this will come up again when we talk about somebody else in this movie. But I saw him in my brain, thought that looks like Oscar Isaac, but he looks like the face is so skinny and his hair is like so scruffy. I was like, is that the guy from Game of Thrones? Maybe. Yeah. But but I did think it looked like Oscar Isaac. But yeah, Irene is like, no, that is definitely Oscar Isaac, David. Yep. 
and and this is where the movie starts to turn into the uh so what character is the what gladiator character is this person playing in a way where right. i feel like he's very, very joaquin phoenix yeah one jo- joaquin phoenix emperor energy um though like the slight different it's not exactly yeah, the yeah. same uh but you know but the good similarities to those characters is they're the villain yeah. but very good villains they're yeah. not two-dimensional oh that's the bad guy you know john actually and again this is a twist on what the you know typical portrayal of the robin hood story john is almost always exclusively seen as just like this jerk yeah chad mm-hmm. you know it's you know <laughs> i wish uh, i could hear him chad. say it i mean he definitely oscar isaac's john definitely is so but you know, he does have good points on the kind of realities of, of you know, bringing down the, the hype on Richard, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, helps him out, of course. But, you know, saying, hey, you forgave him for all this stuff. But, right. you know, in reality, John was the only one that didn't try to rebel against his father and take the crown. So there's, you know, still some merit to John being... You know, he's not a Joffrey that's just inheriting right. this and he's a spoiled brat. Like, he's spoiled, but he's also competent at the kind of financial and administrative stuff. But yes, he's also a pretty bad, pretty rough guy to root yeah. for. It's a perfect example of sort of someone that's been spoiled and distanced from society or his people in general and just focused on what his role is and that anyone who questions that is just... It's a huge slap in the face to mm-hmm. his privilege. And it's such a cliche, I feel like, in any movie where the king takes over or the king is just there and they're the villain and ta- tax them. Well, they don't have any money, my lord. I don't. <laughs> anyway. They have money somewhere. Find it. It's like yeah. milk that horse till it's dead. Yeah. And again, history is written by the victors. And so a lot of this version of Robin Hood, this story that we're seeing, we're seeing this secondary kind of story of the Magna Carta and the Baron's rebellions and all the stuff that happened in real life. And we're just Robin Hood is in it at this point in time. But, you know, history is written by the victors. And at the time it was like the Barons and the people on the side of the, the rebellion and its stuff writing all this propaganda about John. And so that's, what's filtered through us to us as well. So people, Portraying John in the stories also had a vested interest in villain, uh, vilifying him. Not saying he's a good guy, but he is an actual person in this movie instead of a cardboard mustache twirling bad guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they do get get away with it by the skin of their teeth. Uh, the uh, the whole portraying Robert act. Of course, Oscar Isaac makes some snide comment about, "Hey, you, your father, your father, or someone still owed Walter. me, so I'm not going to give you anything." And then he kind of, right. yeah, turns. So they they go off. The band of merry men, the unofficial merry men, go off. And uh, is this around when we run into a uh, Marion, Kate Blanchett's character? I, we've seen like little glimpses of what's going on with her, but yeah, I don't her think and a lot had... of little forest kids all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's some, you know, cutaways, the 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 side plot. We see Marion before Robert. Right. Robin, excuse me. She's actually the Robin opening scene her. of the movie. I just didn't feel like there right. was enough there to talk about just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and inter- interacting with the sheriff of Nottingham, who's, you know, yeah. the other villain in the story. I would yeah. say um, one one element to bring up about the introduction of Marion um, 
I, I love the casting choice. Love Kate Blanchett. She just already portrays someone that is like she's a hard woman. Like that's that's what she mm-hmm. comes across to me yes. as. Um, but Al- the, also, I'm glad we have a mostly age appropriate yeah pairing. Yeah, like she is younger than him, but it's not like also they creepy. just they just kind of match each other yeah. in their presence on mm-hmm. screen. So I, in fact, I feel like Kate Blanchett is just like she just draws my eye all the time. I know. But, yeah. Um, the thing I wanted to bring up about the introduction of like her side of the story is. Yeah, these children where the first time I saw this, I was very confused because I thought it was going to incorporate some sort of supernatural element just Mm. by the framing of of that scene. Yeah, I'm thinking children of the corn, Lord of the flies, all, and there's just this aspect of them that's kind of otherworldly. Which yeah. sort of the Lost just Boys. disappears later. I love the look of their masks. I did too. That was cool. Like especially that first scene where like They're she like, fires the fire arrow at it, and yeah. it's got like one golden looking you. eye yeah. or whatever. It gives what me like that? African tribalism they're, almost. Yeah. They're little Slipknot children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <Aww>, cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, my fingers and two ye eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue, AJ. Uh yeah, Kate Blanchett, her portrayal of of Maiden Marion, again a good kind of grounded in the more mundane. Yeah, you know she's not a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's a maiden, but you know she's not all glammed up and airbrushed and stuff. And um, she's noble in her own right, and, and that yeah. also kind of goes back to some of the heart of the original, or the some of the myth about Robin Hood in the story is Maiden Marion was also very heavily involved in the action and, and doing good yeah. um, for the people. And our portrayal of, of Marion here is doing that. She's um, proud, but she is also doing as best as she can to provide yeah. and help other people. Um, so she is a truly good person. She's not just a prize to be won right. um, and, and that stuff. So very appreciative of that. Or just um, a plot point. Her portrayal. Exactly. Like yeah, the she's last not movie just where there's just, she's just there to make out with Robin Hood and then call it a day. <laughs> right. And speaking an English or uh, American accent. and Yeah. yeah. Wear yeah. eyeliner and blush and all that stuff that they. Yeah. They, they're not spinning around just, you know, 20 times. And, um, <laughs> and well, in this movie, say? it's like the exact opposite of the last movie where instead of starting with the Robin and Marion making out and that's the only development we get between their characters. We have like exact opposite where they're they're they don't yes. know each other and slowly slowly build into knowing each other. Yeah, so. and it, it is a very good relationship actually mm-hmm. because because of that because it's slow and and cautious and Russell's crow does kind of needle at her and I could see another actor saying those same lines a little bit more, uh, you know, again more joking like a, a traditional Robin Hood. Yeah, um, and it going over a little bit more, but again with Kate Blanchett, I told this to Reese is like, man, when Robin comes and inadvertently spills the beans that Robert is dead, her husband is dead. Mm-hmm. The the amount of the level of acting that Kate Blanchett does here is is mm-hmm. tremendous yeah, because she's amazing. You can see and feel the tension and the hurt and the crushing like grief, but she mm-hmm. is also putting on the stoic face for you know her being in this role for the visitor um, and what's expected of her. And she kind of does this little subtle stumble Mm -hmm. um, and just the, the emotiveness of her face, like portraying those, that duality of 
her acting and putting that brave face forward, but also feeling the internal grief. And you just, I don't know, I felt it. It, It's a great, great performance. She is uh, one of my favorite actors, I will say. Mm, Um, Mine too. Like, and it's taken me a little, probably embarrassingly too long to realize that. Uh, But I think that's more of a testament to her performances. And I'm not saying this is like her, uh, one of the, all timers she turns in a performance here that is like more than you would expect from a movie like this a lesser mm-hmm. what i would get oh, absolutely this that role would fall so flat yeah i think it took me a while to realize she's one of my favorites because it's because she kind of does disappear into the tapestry of a movie she does but when you actually isolate her when you're actually talking about the movie you're like wow that was that was good but in a way um, that that speaks to her as an actress that she's not trying to showboat and yeah, actually right. wants to work with the material you know yeah. like that's uh yeah and yeah it's when funny you that- isolate her it's just <laughs> impressive it's funny that on the robin hood movie i'm talking about this but it's still i mean she's well, a, a master class you're never gonna see mm-hmm. her phoning it in even if she feel even if you would you get the impression that she's above a movie yeah, like name yeah. a bad yeah. movie she's been in i dare you she's been in bad well, movies oh, but wait, she's we covered bad them. roles not bad yeah, movies yeah. Yeah. like you know hella was a little bit i thought hella was great <laughs> hella uh, it's um Thor ragnarok the, the oh. thing is she's i i really like her and i like the concept of hella but it felt to me that role felt under her pay grade for in my mind like she she deserves something more than what was given in that movie. yeah but she destroyed it though like she killed that role yeah but it's it's still kind of like a generic like i'm i'm just an evil villain and doesn't really get her to we're not talking hella here so like 90 percent of marvel villains yeah anyway but yeah i mean just she i think to to highlight this point uh, to put a to point on it is this movie like she's not front and center at all, but mm-hmm. she's critical. Like this, without her and this role, this movie would be bad. Yeah, like, yeah, flat out bad. I do think she out. I, I I hate to say it. I love Russell Crowe, but I do think she outperforms Russell Crowe in this movie. She, oh, she mm, does. Oh, 100%. for sure. Yeah. Although they do play off each other really well, and he's fine in the role. Like, um, but I think she's better. Is mm. well in my brain, his best scenes are when he's with her. So. <laughs> One of the one of the things that really does speak to that is there's a point in the movie, I would say maybe like the third portion, second going into third portion, where she's she's being kind of sidelined by the events of the story, which mm-hmm. like it makes sense though. Like I wouldn't expect her to be a part of everything because especially at this time, it's sort of like a man's world or whatever and they have to talk about things behind closed doors but i was getting kind of disappointed because i'm like no i want to i want to see marion be a part of these conversations Mm -hmm. i want her to be involved in yeah that sure enough like later she basically forces her way into a role and i'm i'm happy about that she's in the final battle Mm -hmm. yeah that's essentially Um, what i'm also another kate blanchett thing and another related to that oscar isaac bit uh, we were what halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit more, where she's doing her thing in one of the scenes, and I look over to Irina and I go, "Man, this actress is giving real Kate Blanchett vibes," and she looked at me. I thought you were joking, <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And she's like, "That is Kate Blanchett, <laughs> you dingus." <laughs> and I was like, no "Oh, you no. don't remember working at the movie theater?" Uh, this time. 
I don't. I'm just not good with faces. Oh, but uh, go ahead. Don't. Did, did you have something else no, to say? No, no. I was going to move on to uh, a couple of other cast yeah, members before it. we uh, move on to the second portion. Uh, but we haven't talked about William Hurt as William Marshall. That was a that was a stretch. Like, hey, call call my name William. Pretty easy to respond to that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, William Hurt and um, well, William Marshall was a real person. So a lot yeah. of these barons are. Oh, I was just thinking, like on set, like it, it makes oh, acting yeah. a little easier to be called your name. Probably yeah, you're just William. <laughs> um, but we and also his adversary, Mark Strong. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting dynamic because William Hurt is or William Marshall is like under the king. Mark Strong is like secretly evil French guy. Uh, he's not French, but <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> you know what I mean. He, he's French when it suits, or I'm English, or, or when it when suits it me. I forget me. what it, yeah. what the line is. But Mark Strong plays what's the guy's name? Godfrey. Yeah, Godfrey, which I think is a made up character, but I could be wrong. Gilbert. Um, but what do we think <laughs> about these? This I, I almost want to call it a subplot between mm. these two, like a little like mini develop. They. they this is kind of going on at the same time everything else is happening. These two kind of sparring. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, two veteran actors. What do y'all think? I like it. And the the opening sequence with them fighting? More, but they, ha- they have these little sparring moments where they just like moments of dialogue together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Strong obviously is a, plays a typical snake bad guy. Mark um, Strong is I like- would say more than typical. Because <laughs> Mark Strong is, you know, what David is probably about to say is he's known to be the bad guy. Yeah. That's what he does. He plays Type bad guys. Except for, I was going to use, yes. Yeah, he's, except for maybe Kingsman, but this is probably one of the more developed villains that he's been in that I've seen. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm thinking like John Carter, that was, you know, relatively flat. Uh, Kick-ass. Yeah. I kind of yeah. liked him in Sherlock Holmes, though. Yeah, uh, Lord Blackwood. Yeah. yeah. You're right. But, <laughs> I mean, stylistically, Godfrey, Godfrey, excuse me, um, like he's always all in black, but it works. Like it's mm. not, it's on the nose, but it works. Uh, he's, yeah. he's just sinister. Like he's a great traitor, spy, whatever, you know, what have you. He does this role very well. Yeah. Um, they definitely gave him a nice does little a, Bond villain scar too. Yeah, he, <laughs> he does. They do a good job of juggling the villains. Mm. You know, you've got the sheriff, you've got Godfrey, and you've got John. All of them are bad guys but mm. they're not fighting they're not competing for that spot against you know whatever they all have yeah. you know pretty good screen time appropriate to their character right and mark strong here like you know he's he's great in this role he's menacing sinister mm-hmm. but not cheesy not you know what have you yeah so. i think uh the other the other be- benefit is that he's not constantly monologuing which i feel like a lot of his villain characters end up doing which just isn't in line with the type of actor i see him as you know Mm -hmm. like this is definitely more the villain type that i would put him in the place of yeah yeah agreed uh Uh, william hurt though also i mean just the voice is this that's what this character needed just to be that kind of the good guy on the inside kind of deal yeah, um, but even then, so, like he's he's still a. I see the necessity of there being a king and you know right. the crown. I'm not just like trying to work against the way 
the kingdom is run, but he's exactly. he's trying to keep the peace as best he can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, I did want to quickly touch on the midsection of this movie, which I believe we're fully in. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people see this as a bug, but I see it as a feature. The And it, it is what distinguishes this movie from the other Ridley Scott epics in a way that I like, uh, where it's not aping Gladiator. I like that the midsection of this movie does progress the plot, but not as quick as you would think. It almost becomes like a hangout movie like did, did y'all get that impression where it's just it's just yeah. it, it it's luxuriates not in meand- the- yeah it's not that's a good word yeah. it's not meandering right it has a, a purpose and a direction but yeah it does you know take its time yeah but uh, and, and that i i think that's the main flip of the switch i had from my first viewing of this to the one i'm seeing it now is that but I wanted ticket, it to. Though. I was in the theater. I was like, "Come on, let's get to the action. Let's get to the yes. Robin Hood." And yep. but in this one, I was like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of enjoying just this the the farm life here. Yeah. The just the it's hard to put my finger on." And I'm right there with you in the theater. It's like, "Come on, this is taking too long. What's going on? I want some yeah arrow epic arrow shots, you know." <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but here you get to enjoy the countryside. You get to like you start to get this. I'm, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but. It's managing I, your expectations, and it's also that you've seen this movie before, so mm, you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know that this is an origin story, and we're used to We are conditioned for origin stories now. Yeah. I would say we were conditioned less so for origin stories at the time this came out as a general public yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, and and also, this movie extenuates what Ridley Scott's really good at. In, he's good at making a lived-in, believable space that feels tactile, that feels yeah. like- like these people are living in this world. They're and not just donning costumes and walking around like, oh yeah, yeah living in ye old times. Yeah, and not every moment of a movie has to be exciting. Sometimes yeah. you, you like having a mo a stretch of time like this where yes, things happen, but maybe it's not like right. the utmost important thing right. is fine I because then I wanna say it's documentarian, but yeah, I mean it's almost like capturing Again, the the details of the history, the context of the right. time, yeah, uh, because a lot of these are on actual locations uh, that are relevant to the story, like Sherwood Forest, and you know we're we're used to this, we're getting used to this way of life, seeing what the, a day in the life is like back then, yeah, um, and uh, it, it it does, it's a double edged sword, it is, it is. Uh, by the way, can I blow y'all's minds real quick? Sure. The guy who plays Fire Fire Tuck, do you recognize him? Yes. Yeah. Do you know who it is, Arena? I can't remember at the moment. Uh, I I name dropped him from a a TV show earlier in this episode. It's a it's the guy who played Robert Baratheon. Oh, that is it. Yep. Isn't that weird? That is so weird. Blew my mind. His personality is very different. Very different. Maybe an under another underlooked actor. Um. it works though. I mean, yeah. Luke Evans had a little tiny glimpse in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the but sheriff's lackeys. I caught his uh, jawline and recognized him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, to put a button on it, I I also think this section of the movie lightens up a bit from the darker tone. Like everyone likes to think that this is the grim dark version of Robin Hood. Uh, it's really not. Like I I don't get that impression. Like everyone thinks this is the like. Robin Hood through the Dark Knight lens, and it's very uh, much. No, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't agree. I either. do say, 
But everyone thinks this that, is the gritty one. Like, and yes, it's technically grittier it's than not, some of the other ones. It's but. just down to earth. I won't even say grittier. It's just down to earth. Mundane is a good word because mm. it's literally <laughs> yeah. down to earth. It's not, I mean, it's kind of boring. Like, it, it languishes. Yeah. And it, it's about managing your expectations. And there is a responsibility for an entertainment product to kind of meet those expectations, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So there are some trimmings that can be done to kind of compromise and quicken things up a bit. And I think there could be things that kind of give this a shot in the arm and, and liven it up while also developing a kind of a fuller backstory of who Robin Hood might have been. Yeah. So, I mean, there is opportunity for improvement. Um I don't know. I could watch because, farm, farm Life all day. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is that Whatever. why you like Banshees of Inishirin so much? Maybe. <laughs> like, so we talked about this last night, but and I forget his name. You'll have to say it again. The The composer of the score. It is a very good score, but it is Surprisingly so, but we don't even know that. I'd say understated. Understated is good, It, but it's also supplementary. There's no recognizable... Like there needed to be at least one kind of fanfare or theme that 100%. gives this, this a bold I could character. sing it right now. What is it? We just watched it last night. I just did it. That's a. I know that. You could have made any noise, and I would have gone. Oh, okay. I know. There's one musical cue in this that is recognizable to me, but I won't sing it again. I won't assault your eardrums. But yeah, that that composer is Mark Mark Streitenfeld. Sure, I. You just love those names. Yeah. <laughs> Who for the budget of this movie is not really well prolific. Or I guess he did American Beauty. Mm. Um, American Graffiti, sorry. Oh. Um, you mean his body of work? You said budget. Yeah. Uh, yes. American you. Graffiti? I mean, that's something. Wait, he yeah. actually. Okay, wow. Okay. Uh, he's here and there. But I mean, I think it could have amplified the overall energy of the movie, is what I'm saying. Yeah, agree. You know, yeah. you, you with I still distinctly remember the trailers hyping this up as an action movie, mm, mm-hmm. and it's not exactly what we got. I mean, let's be honest; it's not like we get action, but there's still a kind of a soul and heart missing from it. Like we have these great battle scenes; they're great, and even like I was just envisioning myself on the set with all these horses running around, and just like the the, the attention to detail, the lighting, the shots, framing are all great. Mm-hmm. But there's almost too cold of an attention to detail, and it misses the the forest for the trees. For you know, if you pardon the turn of phrase, mm-hmm. um, because you still have that lack of the legend there. You know, so you can you can still instill you know pepper the the, the history in there and build this kind of reality. But you know, it's it's a myth. It's a legend. This right. is Robin Hood. You can still punch it a little bit. Yeah. Well, so. to to piggyback off of something Irina said while we were watching it is that it feels almost like a Game of Thrones prequel kind of vibe where yeah, there's a reality to it. It's a little dark, but it it's rooted in detail. Mm. And if if yeah. you are fully invested in expecting to spend two hours or whatever the runtime is here two on a half. foundation work movie and not actually get to the character. And there is a supplement, like a secondary movie that actually gives you that character, then this would be perfect. I mean, that's yeah. just not what we got, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's talk about. Um, oh, Max von Sydow. The- we didn't talk about yes, him. Yes, thank you. As uh, Marion's father, who uh, declares that Robin Hood be uh, her husband. Some, some comedy <laughs> ensues, yeah. but. Whether she likes it or not. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, like, yeah, sure. Easy. <laughs> 
Yeah, and this is this all still flows into the the part of the story where I'm just like I'm kind of I hate saying this all the time, but I'm vibing with it. Um, just like it's fun to watch. W- whereas I don't think Russell Crowe quite does enough witticisms. I'll say to he could they could have a smile up, here and there. Yeah, here and there. Yeah, but it's he's he's kind of sedate compared to her in a yeah. way. But Irina, I just like want to take you, you back. Sorry, one one short quick thing. You know, we go through him seeing the town and, and, and learning the town, and they save that ram that's stuck in the mud. And there's some comedy there, but it's and it's really when his three merry men that he comes back, and they're oh, the yeah. ones that literal smiles on their faces. And then, okay, yeah, the energy takes it up a notch. Like, you know, there's things that can be done. Like, especially the merry men bring some merriment to this yeah, movie. Yeah, she's like, I, I trust you'll have a historic evening. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. One of my favorite parts of the movie right there. Yeah. I do think the one line, not the one line he nails, but uh, uh, the one good delivery from Russell Crowe was when he introduces uh, Maid Mary, and he's like, Lady Marion of Loxley, my wife. My <laughs> wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> But Irina, how are you feeling throughout this this part of the movie? I should just catch up with you real quick. I enjoy it. I'm I'm not too bothered by his sedateness. There's a little there's enough of a little smirk on his face with mm. the the stingers here and there that I kind of enjoy. Mm-hmm. Especially the there's that part where um what she's She's going up the stairs, and he he he's like, "Well, if you ask nicely, kind of a thing." Yeah. Where she's like, "Yeah, um, yeah," and I I enjoy those sort of things. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a standout um, scene for sure. And that's yeah. a Robin Hood type humor. Yeah, for sure. So, so I I like those little glimpses into sort of their back and forth. I also just really appreciate a movie that doesn't feel like they need to jump into like the really sensual side of a relationship immediately yeah. where they feel like that's what the audience wants sometimes and I'm like no I want I want to actually believe these characters are developing a spark you know it's not I don't know but I like this sort of back and forth um in the mid part of this movie as well as I think not f- long after he's introduced to the town and everything and all the hardships he um uh, one of the other shining moments that made me feel like, yeah, that's Robin Hood is when he actually does don the hood and mm-hmm. does that scheme where he gets the grain yeah, from uh, great the sequence. people. Yeah, so I enjoyed that and that he and the Merry Men were together all night, like sowing the seed and, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, it's just a miracle that There's little sprinkles happened. of the Robin Hood so to I, be. Yeah. I like those. I wish there was a little more of it, um, but those, I, I think that's my takeaway from this segment. Yeah. And uh, Max von Sydow kind of does exactly what I expected he would do in a movie like this at, at his Die? age. I'm not saying... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow, that was dark. Um, hey, he tried to put up a fight. He couldn't see what he was doing, but he, <laughs> he tried. That, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, he does. Yeah, a, he, I mean, he's a very still a competent actor at oh, this yeah. age. Like surprising, surprisingly so. Um, but yeah, li- liked him as well. I, I we haven't touched on it much, but I really do appreciate like when he finds out his son's dead, and he's like, "All right, you're my son now." Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a feeling. This is another thing that uh, Ridley Scott did very wisely is that 
death back then was very commonplace. Like just oh yeah, you know, you just expect people to die all the yeah. time, and and you yeah. just kind of have to toughen up and just yeah. All right, well, my son's dead. So yeah. well, a little know. insight too. Um, I watched the deleted scenes that didn't make the final cut. Uh, one of which was uh, him talking to Marion and told her that he had a dream or, in his words, a prophecy. Uh, no, not prophecy. I can't remember the words. Were a visitation. A visitation mm-hmm. in his dream of of uh, Robin of Loxley dying. He's like, he's dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, Robert. Robert mean. of Loxley. Thank you. Interesting. Well, he it, his dream was specifically that he talked to King Richard and Richard is dead. And then he said, I think uh, Robert is also dead. Yeah. So. And then he tells Marion's like, you're going to have to come to terms with that. Mm. I just want to note the, you know, that we're stumbling on Robert, Robin, Loxley, Long, uh, Longstride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's intentional kind of conflation to illustrate how historical figures and, and like myths can come to be because yeah. it could be one guy, it could be a bunch of different guys and it just conflates uh, into right. one being <laughs> so it's kind of a, a secondary point that this story kind of makes but yeah maybe unintentionally but i would think intentionally so mm. uh, that i think is kind of neat all right with uh, that said do you want to yeah, close out the plot there for us and if we all missed right, anything let's... we can touch on it in the second portion no yeah that's that's everything let's, let's get to the action here Godfrey's actions incite the northern barons who march to meet King John. Speaking now for Sir Walter, Robin proposes that King John agree to a charter of rights to ensure the rights of every Englishman and to unite his country. Realizing Godfrey's deception and knowing he must meet the French invasion with an army, the king agrees. Meanwhile, French marauders plunder Nottingham. Robin and the northern barons arrive to stop Godfrey's men, but not before Godfrey has slain the blind Sir Walter. As the main French expeditionary force begins the invasion of England on a beach below the cliffs of Dover, Robin leads the now united English army against them. In the midst of the battle, Robin duels with Godfrey, who attempts to kill Marion and flees until Robin finally kills him with an arrow from afar. King Philip realizes that his plan to divide England has failed and calls off his invasion. When King John sees the French surrendering to Robin instead of to himself, he senses a threat to his power. In London, King John reneges on his promise to sign the charters and declares Robin an outlaw to be hunted throughout the kingdom. The Sheriff of Nottingham announces the decree, and Robin and his men flee to Sherwood Forest with the orphans of Nottingham. Marion narrates their new life in the Greenwood, noting that they live in equality as the right as they right the many wrongs in the kingdom of King John. And so the legend begins. Communist <laughs> lifestyle. Mm. Uh, I wanted to note the kind of title cards and the, the credits cards where they've got this kind of flickering candlelight. Oh, I love it. You know, we've, we've, we've always kind of been, you know, hit or miss on text, you know, introducing movies and stuff, but that kind of set the scene as, or, you know, the tone and stuff. I, oh, I they were, they were great. Like, I wish I yeah, saw visually, it Visually, visually, this movie is, is really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that stuff. So this is where... All right, so yeah. we've got this uh, Council of Barons meeting who are, you know, all riled up because of Godfrey pillaging all the villages and also the taxation and stuff. Um, and, you know, kind of coming to revitalize this vision of uh, Charter of Rights, Magna Carta that, you know, historically would become called. Um, 
And uh, I guess Robin kind of realizes this. And this is one weak point where, you know, why does he have this kind of amnesia, I guess, of his, this, you know, this father figure that's kind of almost conveniently put in place where he assumes this, yes. uh, this leadership role of, mm-hmm. of the, of this, you know, this philosophical movement. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a little bit shoehorned in, you know, yeah. for all of the details, you know, and and time chewing the scenery. Why is this secondary plot point so abrupt? Like that's a great concept and great idea, but develop it a little bit earlier on, or introduce right. it a little bit earlier on. Yeah, it was so much so that okay. Actually, this gives me a good jumping off point to talk about what I think uh, Ridley Scott struggles with, and. I think it is you have to pay attention to details in his movies to understand the plot machinations and why things are happening. What other filmmakers do better is making you interested and invested in those like details. I I think there's some in in with the sometimes he connects and it totally works. Like Kingdom of Heaven is an example of that where it's like, "Oh, every one of these details is like Yummy, like give them all to me. Yummy. This one, it almost like with with what you just said, AJ. I bare, I didn't even know that happened. Really, like I yeah. was like, I, I must have like my eyes must have just glazed. Well, it, over. it happened so like, quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll be at points in this movie where it's just like, oh wait, what what's happening? Like, it, and it's almost like I missed the lead up to it because maybe my like he. It, he didn't make the history or the writing interesting enough. And mm-hmm. okay, maybe that's more a writer problem, but yes, he's giving you all this information, but I feel mm-hmm. like he's not in this movie. At least he's not delivering it in a way where I'm like, Oh man, I've... give me, give me more of this. And and when, so yeah, I should have known point. this part, but the... good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's... Two points. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're... Yeah. Der- you're exactly on point with the, the details and you know, Details are great. I love details. It builds texture in a movie, but also like, you know, love it or hate it. That's the job of a director to make their hard choice of this detail as much as this actually builds what my vision is mm-hmm. does not work for this product. At the end of the day, yeah. this is an entertainment product. Mm-hmm. And if you are losing the audience over, you know, details that are, you know, great for the overall goal, but that's that's the wrong choice. Yeah. You have to fine tune and narrow down, and 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 refine it, and you know save it for another day to tell that story. I guess, um, you know, if if it's all just texture and and supplementary, like you need an entree, you need a main course mm-hmm. to kind of have the you know the highlight and those other things complement it. If everything is just kind of this side yeah. course, then what are you doing? Right. Yeah, that that scene in particular, when they do reveal like, oh, yeah, we knew your father or whatever. And he was part of, you know, like signing this charter or or something. I for me, I think the issue with that is not so much that it was abrupt. It did seem abrupt, but I think the blocking of that scene, the organization yeah. of mm-hmm. the characters in that scene was very odd. It was weird. It was yeah. so you don't really know where people are at first. Like you have you have William approach Walter and Walter's like, "Oh, well, I should reintroduce you to um Robin of uh, Longstride." 
And he happens to be there, but kind of at a distance and mm. then approaching them too. And then there's a shot at Marion where you're not quite sure, is she a part of this conversation or is she just watching on? And then you, you, cut, any of this. you cut from that where William is just gone and Walter is yeah. talking directly to Robin about his father. And I'm like, well, why don't we just have a moment where, you know, Robin had approached, then Walter said, uh, this is Robin Longstride. And there's like that revelation of like, oh, and then it shows them later sequestered talking about his father together. Like yeah. th that would just kind of... At least if you're going to include that twist, how does it, it how wouldn't does service, feel so abrupt. How does this service the overall narrative of this movie? I mean, well, it's, it's, it does. It's supposed to drive him enough to become this sort of voice of a movement instead of just a guy looking after that's what his father I feel like did. that more services Who's the good next at shooting movie arrows. that we didn't get to. Yeah. Though. It, yeah, and that's the point. It's like there yeah. should be more development in this movie of the character. Mm -hmm. uh, on on the side of the myth and the leadership and how he is respected by others instead of, oh, he's a really good shot with a bow. Right. And he lucked into, or he's, you know, kind of got situational awareness and vigilance and, you know, he's got good morals. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the whole realization, oh yeah, your dad was this guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to take up his, his ideals. Mm -hmm. Mm. I don't he know. was a great it, man. Well, did no one else find it weird that when they were having the conversation with Walter, Robin and Walter about that, he's like, "I don't remember my father," and he's like, "Close your eyes." No, oh, yeah, and then all but like strange. it almost is like magical moment where he closes like, his eyes and there. then whoa, I remember again. There is a little element of this movie where it's uh, almost kind of tiptoeing into some sort of supernatural element without actually realizing mm. it. Because you mentioned that, that deleted scene where uh, Walter is talking about how he saw Richard uh, approach him, you know, in a visitation, mm -hmm. which obviously is inclining you to believe there's something a little more on the supernatural level happening. There, that's, I think, what that is. This is a flavor that's, you know, trying to be brought over from the the, the stories mm -hmm. of the, the church. You know, it's not all just the monarchy because right. you have the church involvement as well. Uh, you know, we have Friar Tuck. Uh, gosh, twenty the 2018 one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Gosh, <laughs> that's a, if I <laughs> could go back and re-rank after watching this one, oh boy. Yeah. You didn't so even there's score this, There's this element of, you know, Robin, Robin Hood. You know, he's got this kind of dual relationship with religion and the church mm -hmm. and we kind of see that here like early on robin is like you know almost agnostic or whatever uh but then also wants to bury the dead and do the proper rites right um and i think that's you know kind of from the at least other portrayals of robin hood where you know there's this element of corruption in the church and that's right the, the 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 system that to be fought against that robin hood is working against but also that supernatural element like you said that the spirituality of it is still part of him mm -hmm. and i think that's what this what you're alluding to i think that's just an incidental of you know kind of trying to capture all the details right mm -hmm. uh it's just i don't it, it is the the transition and the blocking like you said you know 
we we are coming off this high of you know they they sowed the grain they're gonna kind of be saved in six months or however long <laughs> grain takes to grow <laughs> uh but yeah i mean they they allude that they frame that in the context of a miracle and then he goes and yeah. does the work and there's there's so much potential to to delve into that and i know Ridley Scott wants to have a f- philosophical subtext to this yeah. movie uh, but I think this is also a victim of the reworks of the plot because originally Ridley Scott envisioned this movie as Nottingham, the sheriff. And oh, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Uh, the main character was going to be the sheriff and it was going to be more ph- philosophical approach on is this character of Robin Hood, like a, almost a detective. And Robin, uh. or the, sh- the original sheriff was going to be more on the side of good or struggling to find good and fighting this philosophical concept of Robin Hood. Is it one guy? Is it a group of guys? Is it an ideal that's pervading, you know, society? Uh, and that's what Ridley Scott's original vision for this film was before. And then there's like the 2008 writer strike and they rewrote this to, to be more in line with a little bit more of the, the, the straightforward narrative. I'll, um, I'll ask you a tough I, question, AJ, uh, which, I which think would that's you have preferred? The first, honestly, I, you know, the details and the great battles and, and setting, like all the high budget stuff, it looks great. But what would be more lasting and, and conversational or yeah. conversation provoking is the former idea. Especially uh, under that the would be direction a, a true of, twist. of Ridley Scott, too. Yeah, that would be a true twist on, on, the, on the myth. The legend is, you know, that alternate perspective instead of just fleshing out the, the, the historicity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would have been more interesting. And and I think it would still that the movie, uh, what, even if it didn't succeed, would still be more of a conversation uh, and present in you know the overall umbrella of Robin Hood and portrayals and stuff. Ooh, interest! This gives me an interesting idea. That's probably a very stupid idea uh, and not financially good. Um, <laughs> what if? <laughs> I, I'm going to go out on a Noah limb here since he's not here. What if you I'll had, make it into a series? Yeah, no. What if you had two movies that came out like filmed simultaneously? Did the whole Lord of the Rings situation? One is Nottingham and one is Robin Hood. I, I had that thought, and I think that it does go a long way to again managing the expectations going into this movie. If you know that this is a part one. Yeah. And then that there is more to follow up on actually getting Robin Hood delivered to you. And then you have all this great detail and groundwork before. Yes, that's the ideal. That is yeah. ideal. <laughs> Instead of, I think I, this is just, again, rewriting stuff, the delays, production troubles, getting something out there that's not what kind of they set out to do, uh, but also really putting a lot into a lot of, you know, care and 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 work and time and energy into it Mm -hmm. this is the result of that of you know you still need this overall plan and goal and direction and all the the detail and fill work can actually contribute to an overall piece again seeing the forest for the trees so sherwood forest for the trees (laughs) uh yeah no good good point um all right so this is the point of the movie where we start to ramp up to the action um, do you want to set the stage for us, AJ, how we get there? And, and then we can kind of talk about the, the big battle okay. sequence. So meanwhile, there, uh, you know, these barons are having this conference. King John actually shows up to kind of talk to them. 
you know, does his deceitful stuff. Uh, Robin steps up, you know, kind of presents this and steps up as a leader. Um, you know, we talked about it being somewhat abrupt, but then Nottingham is getting wrecked by the French and Godfrey. And so they go to kind of, you know, take him on because that's the most pressing thing is the immediate, immediate, you know, what's going on right there. Uh, they're a little bit too late. Sir Walter is slain by Godfrey, but the heroes reclaim Nottingham um, and kind of regroup to uh, stave off the French. Great battle scene, great chaos in Nottingham, all those horses running around. Uh, I think one of the horses that was on set uh, that Russell Crowe rode was actually his a horse he rode in and gladiator, yeah, which yeah, I found right. kind of cool. Yeah, um, little trivia there. But uh, then they kind of go to the cliffs, the the you know the south side of, or south side of the island, you know, obviously across the channel. So the French are invading. And Reese, you brought this up. This imagery of Normandy. This is obviously yeah. you know Normandy is the the locale. Yeah, David. Uh, I don't know if you. The oh, World we all II, noticed. Yeah, yeah. Operation Overlord, like the, you know, D Day invasions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to talk about. I think it's actually pretty cool stylistically to kind of compare that to something modern and familiar. I did want to talk about how this movie, or at least the 2018 one, echoes this one in a way where the 2018 was like, "Hey, uh, you, our bow and arrows are assault rifles, and our uh, uh, horses yeah, are urban combat, our military vehicles." Like it, it was very much Iraq War, as we said, like that era of fighting like oh i got your six like here we go like I got you, you know six. um and Ooh, this rah. one is very much it is almost it's a d-day situation there's like gun gunners up top at the top of the cliff just like spewing arrows down there's the the ships are very like i don't know if this was historically accurate i guess it has to be but they looked exactly mm. like the normandy ships that these like boxy looking like container ships that just like I don't know. Slide up onto the to beach. Get up onto the beach. Yeah. Yeah. And well, even the way the the front. Opens yeah, they would up open them up, and then people would spew arrows at them, and you'd have these underwater shots of arrows flying by yeah. bodies. Very and it's just Saving like, Private Ryan esque. Yeah. Although. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. This is where you see this is a, a high budget, and it does it well and presents all this stuff well. They saved it for the ending ahead. sequence for sure, and yeah, that I mean, there's this is where more of the VFX comes into play, but um, I also think it's funny that they're kind of swapping the good and bad sides in that situation. Whereas the French in this are, I mean, I, you know, who is good and bad in this movie really though? Like, I don't know. The English and the French both seem kind of, eh, we get our, we get our worst line morality scene too, in this uh, sequence too. Oh yeah. Do we, this does not look like a, uh, um, a uh, divided nation a or nation whatever. Divided. Or a nation divided. I don't know what the exact line was like. Yeah. This is not a, I, I don't know. It was just like so on the nose. As he's eating a cherry tomato that spits, you know, red juice down his lip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will there say. There were a couple Lord of the Rings reference, like the, the stabbing. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The ring race. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, we noticed that too. It the was whole exactly ring wraiths. Yes. Yes. Uh, that was, I, I don't like, like as much, like, as great as Marion's character is in this, you almost flush it down the toilet by having this Eowyn moment where she's leading the halflings into battle on their ponies. <laughs> why? That was so unnecessary. I don't know why. Yeah, they like, well, okay. Feel? There's pros and cons. Getting her more involved versus just being the stereotypical stay at home, we don't see her the rest of the movie thing. I, I'm okay with her being involved, but what I don't like is the fact that 
They send her into battle, and then they're like, eh, forget her about her, until the moment she's, like, hurt, and then he has to carry her off the battlefield. There's nothing in between. Nothing. Also... they uh, kind of alluded to that with the, as again the the details the focus on the over focus on the details before you know when uh, Robin first rolls into town and uh, she has to help to vest him you know they uh, say like in real life yes this chainmail armor is heavy like you need yeah. uh, an assistant to get it off and that's why you know she as you know a slight woman is struggling under this armor, especially on the beach. And she gets in the tide and and falls and it is hard, like impossible for her to get up. And so she does need rescuing. Then I feel like her head was underwater for a little bit long. Yeah. She's like choking on seawater and Russell Crowe's like, I'm going to make out with you. (laughs) Like, like, no, (laughs) wake me up. Uh, I guess they didn't develop CPR at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but this is a good time, as any, I think, to talk about the VFX that I think are really cool. Which yeah, go for it. All of it went towards this sequence, really. Um, they used they they found a real beach. Obviously, I think this one's I think this one's off of Scotland or Ireland. Um, but they found the beach they were looking for. It looked like that. I'll just say yeah, that. and yeah. it was a really good location. And they well before they even did that, they did all these mock-ups on Photoshop for for the director, uh, Ridley Scott, and he's like, all right, I like it like that. Find a location that's kind of like that. They found it, and then they did a lot. They did some LiDAR scanning to 3D map out mountains to add on to the the landscape. Um, They added in extra boats. They added in extra people. Um, They even had setups where they had people... Um, simulate rowboats and like on a green screen. Oh, nice. Um, they had setups on green screen and and uh, what what is it called? Um, where they put the dots on you, but yeah, motion capture. Yeah, they did that with horses. They put the dots on the horses and had them leap off boats and stuff like that nice. into the water. Um, so they got a lot of really cool stuff that way, and they had to composite everything. But even so, the the boats were completely different. If you look at what the boats actually looked like, nothing like what they were in the Interesting. movie. Interesting. And they completely redid them in the movie. Okay. So you know the the cliffside wasn't there. there. There was no cliffside. They extended the beach and everything. The only real thing were they had like twelve boats that they turned into two hundred. They had probably a hundred people. They turned into a thousand or more. So wow. they they did a lot of actual VFX work to, in that to this final movie's sequence. credit. I don't think there's a single shot in this movie to me that looks fake. No, like, no, I wouldn't have guessed that final sequence yeah. was as uh, visually effective. Yeah, yeah. The ex- like the the cliffs and everything. I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that honestly. Wow. Or how many boats and everything they they changed. I thought those were practical boats. So yeah. Uh, Irina. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? And I just kind of want to open this conversation about the. Uh, forest people since we touched on it oh yeah those guys how how do you feel about their incorporation here especially in the main battle because i had i had a lot of issues with my first for me they're very underdeveloped it felt like a a string that was started and then sort of dropped off somewhere and they're like oh yeah we have these guys they can swoop in you know and they feel like they had more of a purpose in theory Mm -hmm. but then it the movie got kind of swarmed by all this plot that was going on. And they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot. We have like little forest kids to help. It's also something very hard to make cool in a grand epic scale historical war. I like, I like the concept of them, but they, they felt kind of similar to the whole, um, 
Robin Hood being compared or not compared related to this guy that these old people know and it, like oh yeah it's your basically your destiny to unite the barons and uh, create this new like age of whatever Ultron. people living off their own sweat and hard work mm -hmm. but um it's something i could do without yeah it's almost like a plot device there to develop Marion's character more so than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or just so they have some place to go at the end of the movie. Which, yeah, it, if they had, it didn't feel like you really needed that much more. They either needed to pump the brakes and not have them at all or really lean into what you were saying with this, like, Lord of the Flies, like, right. really actually threatening and cool th forest people that I you don't want to mess with. Essentially trying to plant the seed of, oh, this is essentially where everyone's going to have to go once, you know, things go to crap. Because yeah. when Robert of Loxley, Robert Loxley is, uh, or Robin, whichever. Robin Longstride. Loxley, Robert. Blah, blah, blah. The legend is basically considered Robin. an outlaw. They're going to be living in the woods. So I, I think that's essentially their role in my mind as being children of the wood who are like, okay, yeah, we can live off the wood. We've been doing yeah. it for well, a while. You have that scene where they capture Robin. Mm -hmm. You build a lot towards him explaining the the faults they have and how he could train how them. How he could train them. And I'm like, oh, are we going to get like a montage coming up? Yeah, you don't really see Nothing. It. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely nothing. They just kind of That was it. a foreshadowing that literally went nowhere. It's so weird to have them in the opening scene of this movie. Yep. Like at, as if oh, they're on main like, point. Yeah, like these are gonna be. This is a significant. It does make them seem the like they were going to be more important than they were. There's a every now and then there are scenes kind of in relation to these guys sometimes where I'm thinking of like a Terry Gilliam feature. You know what I mean? Mm. Where oh, there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. a little bit of that um, playfulness happening with the action or just the subject. It's funny you say Terry Gilliam. I just watched Adventures of Baron Munchausen for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, just looking up Monty Python and the Holy Grail. What a strange thing. Thank you, Arena. Well, he also, <laughs> he also did Time Bandits and oh, he, yeah. he does cover a little bit of the Robin Hood lore in there. Like they, they kind of travel to a time where Robin Hood mm -hmm. is, takes place. So that might be what's um, appearing in my brain when yeah. I watch this movie. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think the 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 forest kids are a little underserved here. Uh, either I stand by like I think they should have either not been in here at all, or they should have leaned more into oh, it. Oh, one hundred percent. That so we got our big epic battle. I'm happy with it. I think this is a good. Uh, yeah, really, Scott just really knows his way around a epic action sequence, and it shows here. Uh, Yet still. Yep. What I wanted most out of this movie, finally get a bit of an epic archery shot. Yes. Yeah. That's where I was I don't exactly care about sword to. fights. I want archery. archery. But you got it. You got yeah. it. I got one, but I wanted more. It left me, it was like, ah, I wish there was one. Actually, there were two big shots in this whole mm. movie, and it happened One was early on. But they were, yeah. I know, but they were both the same two but, people. Well, that's yeah. the thing where you're like, well, if there had been more movies, would we get more archery? And that was just the beginning of some of those scenes. Yeah. I can't believe I, I'm watching a Robin Hood where they don't split an arrow with another arrow. So this is another thing where uh, it's a tale of two cities between this 2018 and uh, 2010 movie where 2018 is like 
oh, you didn't get enough arrow in that last Robin Hood More arrow. Like, now the language is bow and arrows. And it's just like, guys, there's a way to Fully do this. Fully automatic bows. <laughs> yeah. There's a way to do that. You, you just got to split the difference. Like, make the bow and arrow cool, but don't make it like, this is the, the only language that this character speaks is bow and arrow. You know? And in this movie, you kind of forget that Robin's, oh yeah, he's kind of carrying around a bow and arrow every now and then. But <laughs> He's also like, a really good shot. Yeah. Don't, don't you um, remember I, how nice it was to see people use bow and arrows in close combat? Yeah. it. You need people to allude to him. Like, merry men just say things like, dang, Robin, you're good with that arrow there. That's uh, like good a shot, buddy. Uh, or just give him like a hunting scene or something where he's like, like maybe they're it's winter. And no, no, no. The farm, they don't have food. And they're like, hey, Robin, go hunt something. No, you need the like, cliche <laughs> he, he scene. He did. He, he shot down a, a duck or something. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah I don't yeah. know what That's it was. Right. You need a cliche scene of him like practicing outside in Pheasant. Nottingham. And, and then Marion walks up to talk to him. And he like splits an arrow in half. And she's like, wait a second. <laughs> wait, what? Wait. <laughs> we did but, get the, the shooting, the nailing of the wanted poster to the tree. That's, okay. That's all right. All right. But a lot of that is it's after the fact. It's like, okay. Yeah, it is. In hindsight, like the, yeah, he's pretty good at arrows. It's um, like the last scene of the freaking scene, movie. I love, I love that. He's pretty good at arrows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one also scene in uh, the scene that I really do appreciate is Oscar Isaac, our boy, as as King John re, you know, reneging yeah. on the Magna Carta. Oh yeah, and declaring him to be an outlaw. I just love that delivery so much, mm-hmm. and that is the thing I remember about this movie the most is I declare him to be an outlaw. Like that line mm-hmm. is what sticks out above everything. And it's so uh, funny that the 2018 ends in almost the exact same way. Yet this one like owns it. It's like yeah. this is here is how you do this. Like, <laughs> I just love his his delivery earlier when they're saying like, oh, yeah, well, we'll unite if you uh, sign this treaty or whatever with us. And he's all like, yes, I swear on my mother's life. Yeah, who he <laughs> already doesn't like, care about. I don't think oh, he means that. <laughs> I, have, I have expected him to purposefully say it that way so he would kill his mom and then rip up the paperwork. <laughs> right. I half expected that. <laughs> Also, fun fact: Oscar Isaac has blue eyes in this movie. He's wearing colored yeah, contacts. Does. Yeah, they're they're distracting, but not as distracting as Danny Houston's contacts. <laughs> Actually, yes. The, well, the, at least the one opening sequence. Yeah. All right. Uh, thus ends our discussion of the Robin Hood story. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and on the other end, we'll get into our brief reviews of numbered scores. Uh, talk about what critics thought get into some box office and close out with some franchise talk. So we'll see you then. Welcome back. Ye old fellow citizens. Your commitment, man. Come on. Not to be the, the the actually guy, but it's actually pronounced the. The Y is actually just a, a the, ligature for uh, like contracting two letters. You're a ligature. But it's still ah. pronounced the. Well you do it, AJ. Hey, okay, <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a well, it's just called the old whatever. Oh, okay. There you it's go. It's just spelled with a Y as a character. Because well, over time Clearly I didn't live in the twelve 12- 
hundreds or hey i don't have a doctorate in linguistics anthropology for nothing (laughs) or you should see i don't have a doctorate and i paid nothing for it but yeah (laughs) david yeah pull those reviews at random (laughs) oh yeah we're doing that all right first up aj with a 7.5 yeah so um I like this movie, and you know I like Ridley Scott. And overall, this is a, a positive movie. This, actually, you know what? This wasn't tough for me. This feels right. You know, it's you know largely positive. I've watched. I own this movie. I, you know, watched it a couple times willingly. That's a good thing. Um, I'm a fan of historical fiction overall. You know, literature, films, everything. But if you pick something as legendary as Robin Hood, you still have to, you know, sprinkle the ingredient of, of the legend in there, the heart. Um, and I come, you know, I really appreciate the direction of trying to incorporate the story of like the Norman yoke, the history, which is, you know, the the uprising of the the lower nobles and I guess the, you know, by extension, the common man in society against the monarchy and Robin Hood being ingrained in that because that's at the heart of the legend. And if Robin Hood was a real person, he was involved at this at this time. Um, I wish it was developed more. And I really charge am charging Ridley Scott with, because he is such a great director and, uh, you know, artist that he needs to have, understood where to pare this down i completely can uh, understand and, and empathize with trying to create something and have, wanting to put so much detail into it because you want it to be extraordinary but sometimes less is more and i think less would have been more in this we needed more uh accent on the smiles and the heart the the joviality of of you know the lighthearted Robin, uh, see more of his merry men. Bring that merriment. I mean, we were just talking in the break. You know those scenes with little John. I mean, that's I'm just pepper that in more. That would have helped a lot. It would have gone a long way and pare down some of the details. Uh, and also maybe bring in this element of the social philosophy. Uh, I guess sociology. That's the word for that. Uh, you know and development of the Magna Carta. If you want to bring history into that and something significant, the Magna Carta is great. Uh, so you got to learn to sacrifice the other details of, of, of good battle sequences and build that secondary story more earlier on and uh, more organically. And I think that would have elevated this to probably the best Robin Hood movie if that was successful because it's tool purpose. It's entertaining you know, great from a technical standpoint, visual, you know, an experience, but it's also almost educational. Yeah. Um, and this was on the cusp of that last criteria for me, uh, but it didn't, it didn't make it. And uh, unfortunately that's just why I'm harder on it because it had that potential to, to do that. And I don't know if, th- you know, Ridley Scott just didn't prioritize it or is it a, a victim of, you know, production, but I, gosh, I wish there was something more memorable about this movie because it had all the ingredients and budget to do it. Uh, and also I, I am more critical of movies when they have high budget, which this one did. So, um, 
they had, they had more working with it, more to work with. Excuse me. Yeah. Overall, I mean, positive. I left I left a lot on you know the, the main body of the episode and how I feel about this movie. So, um, I mean, I again want to uh, applaud you know all the actors involved, especially you know this is probably the best made in Marion mm-hmm. that we've seen in film, um, and I wish there was more success to this movie to to highlight her character, but. I mean, great, great production all around. I just, this needed more heart to the legend and and a little bit less detail. So, yeah. All right. Next up, Irina with an eight. Nice. Yeah. I think this movie is solid. I I think my reasoning for giving it an eight is I finish a movie and I look back on it and it's like, would I watch this again? Yes. Yes, I think I would. So I... Not only does it look good and it makes sense that the budget's high because it looks great still, I love Kate Blanchett so much and I think her role as Maid Marian is one of the bigger highlights for my enjoyment of the movie and it's because she does have that element of heart to her where you find it in little glimpses here and there but she has it pretty much all throughout her character's journey. So she, there's that element of she is going, yes, through hardship, but she has a little bit of cheekiness, too, and just this uh, resilience to what's going on around her, where she's like, well, I got to pick myself up by my bootstraps and keep going because there's no other option. So I I find her character very refreshing. Um, as far as the rest, they're very well cast. Um, I... For the most part, agree with AJ here, and there's not much I can add to it. There are some elements that are shoehorned in the whole, like, Robin's fate, which I think is interesting, but ultimately doesn't really need to be there for me. The children in the wood is fine if it didn't seem kind of like it was fumbled in. I would be okay with the introduction of them, but it does feel like they were sort of just a forgotten element that happened to help out in the end, or they had to find a reason for them to help out in the end. I'm actually just very sad that this didn't get to have more movies, because I do feel like it would improve if it did. There's just too much crammed into one film and too much detail that you're trying to juggle all at once that's keeping it from being perfect. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, eight is satisfactory to me. Satisfactory. All right. Next up, David. That's me with an eight. Dang. And I am going to lower it to a 7.5. It's something I've been thinking about all movie. I was between the two. I tend to lean high. And if I'm ever going to change a score, I want it to be lower, not higher, mainly just because I like to give the benefit of the doubt and leave it there if it deserves it. Um, This one is really tough because it has so many good things going for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
the cast alone in the acting is phenomenal. I would say like there is some underperformance with Russell Crowe, maybe from the director standpoint, they didn't give him the right direction. I don't know, but I think that overall, this is a really well cast, really well acted movie. The music I think could have been better. I, I truly do believe that if you have a more engaging score, this, it would heighten scenes in my brain. I'm trying to think of things that, haven't already been said because with AJ and Irina, I agree wholeheartedly with a lot of their comments, um, primarily with what AJ was saying in regards to memorable, memorable scenes, something that is you can latch on to. When I think of uh, a year from now, if I'm trying to remember this movie, what am I going to remember? And I don't know what I'm going to remember. <laughs> and uh, let's think about other Ridley Scott movies. I mean, Gladiator. I, I There's a yeah. whole slew of scenes that pop into my brain when I've only seen that two times. And I can think of so many scenes. Alien, same thing. I cried at the end of Gladiator. Like, I remember, yeah. like, that's... Exactly. And it's not factually accurate, but it's got the heart. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's not Ridley Scott, but even Braveheart, which is more along the lines of theme here. I mean, also not historically accurate, but, like, I... I can latch on to things from that movie, even if I haven't seen it in 10, 15 years. This movie becomes ambiguous in the detail, and it needed something to elevate it just a little bit higher to reach that eight, maybe a nine. And I think the score would have helped it. I think more intense scenes would have helped it, maybe a little bit more uh, fleshing out of the Robin Hood character being a little bit more exciting. Uh, leaning yeah. into the to the arrow side of things, I think we all know. Um, but yeah, I just it's for all that it got right, it somehow missed the mark more than it should have. Um, and if you're a Robin Hood movie, you should hit that arrow on arrow every time. Mm. So we'll leave you it still there. gave it a positive review. <coughs> I gave it a positive review. Yes, I did. <coughs> all right. Um, last but not least, we have Reese with a seven point Uh, yeah. Um. Guys, I think we're going to be on the higher end of what is normally, you know, seen of this movie. <coughs> Let me cough real quick. Sorry. <coughs> Did someone dump some, like, asbestos in the air? What, what? No, I don't know what happened. Don't act like you've never coughed before, David. What is coughing? <laughs> uh, I was... What I tend to traditionally do when I'm we're leading up to an episode, I'll listen to other podcasts' takes on movies, look at review scores, general reception... The, it was baffling to me. I listened to at least three podcasts covering Rob, this movie, and they treat this movie like it is just, it is the crap that they stepped on and had to like. Are you kidding? And they had to just wipe it off. Like it, it just would not wipe off of their shoe. Like it, it's like the, the vitriol that's spewed towards this movie is, is insane. Like it's weird. Like it, uh, this, you'll see this movie frequently at the bottom of like Ridley Scott movies ranked. I mean, I could still no, see that. That makes a little more sense. I think there's clear a clear worse one and that is Exodus. That movie is like actively bad. Another Russell Crowe um, movie. It, and the common thing that people say is it's just it's a slog, it's boring, and I'm so tired of people using just that that is someone who just decided not to engage with a movie. Like just they decided, you know what? I've heard this is bad. I'm going to watch it. Yep. seems like it's bad. I'm going to look at my phone. Like, that's the impression that I get from people that negatively. I I don't want to project on other people, I, I but I am. But it's just 
that is not the movie I saw. It is a flawed movie for sure. It is a it is too long, but there is just a level of competency in the filmmaking that is far and away above so many other filmmakers out there, even though the movie does have issues. It, this has been one of the more baffling ones that I, I don't understand why people hate it. I can mm-hmm. understand why you don't like it. I don't understand how you could hate it. Though. There's nothing like, to it's hate like, about this movie. It, it's very much a traditional epic. Great actors. Very well staged. Mm-hmm. Like excellent costume work. I actually will push against you, David. I like the score a lot. Um, I, I think it could have been used more, amped up more. How about we for put sure. it this way? Compared to Ridley Scott films that are better... This is a weaker score compared yeah. to Gladiator or, you know, whatever you call it. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I just think just having Ridley Scott's window dressing makes this movie heads and shoulders above yeah. a lot of others. Mm-hmm. Like, and this movie, I'm not saying it's without substance. It has some substance, but it is most, I will say it is, it is mostly like just a traditional, nothing really new to say type epic. But it really, it, it still gets the job done. And it's, it's, I found it entertaining. I found it enjoyable. I like that it, I, I know we complain about the length, but I like that it kind of luxuriates in this era. It, you, I feel transported to this time. Um, my only main issues are, I, I, ju- I do wish it was more Robin Hoodie. Like, I do wish we had more archery scene or, or demonstrations of archery, more, more of that jovial Russell Crowe side versus the grunt and kind of make a slightly fun comment every now and then, but mostly just grunt. Uh, yeah. It, out of the three epics that he had done at this point, Gladiator, King, Kingdom of Heaven, and this one, this one's, yeah, far and away the least of those. But... Man, after watching Robin Hood 2018, by the way, I listened to a podcast where someone recommended the 2018 one no. o- over this one. Why? No. And once that happened, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to my next one. Like, it, it was just like, what are you watching? No, no, no. no that I'm is somebody curious. born in 2005 or, or more I'm curious. Recent. What did they, did you hear a reason for why? They claimed it was another, like, okay. I. Uh, I just have this issue with podcasts when I listen to them. If you're going to criticize a movie, at least criticize it in a way that is like back, like make, make me interested in your criticism. When someone just throws out the, it was boring. Like, well, you're just as bad as the movie, sir or madam. Like, it's like, be interesting in your criticism. And a lot of these, criticisms that I were hearing were just blanket statement like I'm not even giving this movie the time of day like uh. hey people spent their lives work like m- months of toil to make this thing and and to cast it aside with a blatant oh it's boring watch this 2018 one at least it's a generic action movie that's kind of fun like get out of here okay like, you're it, not a critic yeah. So like I don't I don't mind giving something a poor review, but at least tell me why you did. Yeah. It's like when you look at a product and you see there are one star reviews and you're like, okay, I want to know what was wrong with it, and you go and nobody put a comment. Yeah. It's oh, like my. that's not helpful to yeah. me. <laughs> yep. I I hate that I'm put in the position to defend this movie, but I'll defend it. Because it is it is not 
a bad movie. It's a good, it's a good, decent. Well, it's it's one that I'm not ashamed to say I like it. Yeah. Like yeah. there are movies out there that are like, you know, it's a guilty pleasure or, you know, it's contentious to say that, or it's controversial to say that, you know, you rate it highly. This is one, I have no problem like with this score at all. Like, yeah, I truly don't understand like what yeah. you're saying. The and complete, that- you know, lambasting of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad we can firmly plant our feet and give this movie its mid seven score. I'm happy I'm happy with that. I think it earns it. It is by no means perfect. Uh, definitely has some flaws. I even might think we rated it a little too high. But this is not a dumpster fire like yeah. the some of the people out there want you to claim it or, or claim it to be. And it's 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 just it's a Ridley Scott historical action epic. Uh, in the, I don't know. That that's just what it is. It, you you're getting what you paid for. Uh, there, so. there are gems in this movie. You just have mm-hmm. to sift for them. I mean, yeah. and you're not even sifting. Like you're not sifting through like dirt and grime and trash. Yeah. Like it's still like yeah. decent content. Well, I like you're still just having to look for some real, real sparkle. I think mm. also for me, and I was telling David this while we were watching it, is I'm I'm a sucker for period films. Like even if they're not that great, if they're detailed yeah. enough, if it if I love the environment, mm-hmm. I like the time period. It's just fun to take a trip in time. You know, yeah, it, it, that's all I need sometimes. Do you know the p- movie I put this in exactly the same camp with? What? Where like everyone's like, oh, it's it's boring, like. Uh, the the Wolfman movie. Oh, where it's, they found that boring. People well, are, oh, oh, okay, I can, I can. Get, Arena, this is the TikTok generation. Yeah, like, uh, the instant if, gratification. If videos aren't, <laughs> if videos are longer than thirty seconds, it's it's boring. Yeah, um, here I am. I thought when TikTok took uh, TikTok. <laughs> I'm okay, boomer. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I thought TikTok was first, you know coming up in North America is like, oh, this isn't going to last long. This is garbage. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, yep. Number here one. Stay for, for a while. Uh, but my mad rant is over now. I'm done. Uh, seven out of ten. You want to crunch those numbers, AJ? All right. So, unfortunately, without Noah tonight, but uh, for us four, we have a group average of 7.5. So, yeah, pretty solid. You know, representation and showing, you know, for Robin Hood 2010. So we have a a hefty number of seven-ish scores. So let's see. Uh, Seven and a half we also rated for Blade, Silver Bullet, Contagion, Jennifer's Body, Kick-Ass, and yeah. This Robin Hood 2010. Man, there, I can already tell there's going to be some people that are mad that this I, is tied with Blade and yep. Contagion. Well, yeah. or even tied with the with Jennifer's body. Like, and just, ass. Yeah. yeah. I think what I can say for that is comparing it to other movies, I think the length and the amount of, amount of content that this movie has, whether it's engaging content or exciting content, there's more that you're picking from. So I think that in my mind, at least contributes to more n- numerical score, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. Well, this movie just uh, feel, feels just sturdy and kind of like immovable in a way. Where when you're watching it, it's like this is 
even if you have issues with it, that a filmmaker who knew what he was doing was making this. Yeah. Um, well, and, and to all those people yeah. out there who hear that and are offended by like the the scores around it, just be aware that when you're ranking movies on their own, and then you rank another movie in a different genre on its own, and then it's against the scores, different competition. It's, it's crazy yeah. how vastly different they are. So yeah. 7.5 for Robin Hood. Wow. Uh, this will be like, I feel like generally we fall into the consensus. This is one of those cases where we did not. And mm-hmm. I'm okay. That distinguishes us. Good. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 43%, which <sighs> is low, but it is three times as high as the 2018 version. Wow. Yeah. I think that one was like around 14 just or 15 feels a or something like but that. See, too low for just this. this. Well, yeah, just this movie being rotten instead of even just slightly fresh yeah. is just wrong to me. Like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. There's no way that right. this is movie is more negative than positive yeah. or neutral I, to me. I also, I, I do think it had a summer release so i think that was it was sandwiched between more exciting movies uh, okay. and i think maybe this would have been served served better if it came out in like a like a fall or winter time and also um, possibly like you guys were mentioning after seeing trailers there was this promise of uh, some sort of battle epic almost yeah. robin hood but it you weren't given that. So yeah. I could see people voting low out of spite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, audiences were a little higher, though. 58% on Rotten Tomatoes, almost in the fresh zone. On Metacritic, the movie has a 53. And an audience score that is in the fresh zone of uh, just barely, though, 6.3. So in the green there. That's the only green mark this movie gets, though. On IMDb, it has a very middling 6.6 out of 10, which for an audience score on IMDb, that it's not the same as an, a Metacritic score. If you're in the sixes in Metacritic, it's it's generally positive. But for IMDb, the the, the reviewers on there tend to be a little more generous to movies and uh, thus making this 6.6 more of a mixed uh, result versus... Uh, like, we kind of want to get into that, the, the seven range when... when on IMDb for it to be deemed a uh, decently reviewed movie by the audiences there. Uh, but overall, mixed mixed reviews. Yeah, 43 on Rotten Tomatoes sounds pretty rough, but that's still in the mixed territory. So a bunch of like critics falling on one side or the other, recommend or not. Uh, so it's not completely bleak. This is definitely not a Robin Hood 2018 situation where it was just like, oh my gosh, just all, no one liked that thing. Uh, so at least there's that, so we can glean a few positives there. Can I just say, yep. I looked this up just to see it on Rotten Tomatoes, and it showed movies you also might like because of the score. Cowboys and Aliens had a higher score than this movie, with a 44%. So. Uh, again, I think that's good graces from John Favreau as a filmmaker, like coming off of Iron Man and just... You You're know. right, people don't like Ridley Scott. No, they do, but I'm just saying that at this point, Ridley Scott, he's... He's been, I don't know, it's just the whole Robin Hood venture seemed like, oh, you're doing the historical epic thing again. It just hurts my heart that this is below Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That movie's not good. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But again, that movie's not terrible. No, we gave it a decent score. You could do worse. Uh, But yeah, mixed mixed reviews across the board. This is the, when you look up the word mixed reviews... 
this is a movie that comes up very much down the middle with critics. Uh, moving on to box office, this, this movie released on uh, May 14th in 2010, so also playing at the time, Iron Man 2, Letters to Juliet, which I don't know what that is, Just Right with a W, uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Hmm. Great movie. Uh, Iron Man 2, oof. And this is also one of the biggest budget spreads that I've seen for a movie. There's no one, no pinpointed, this was definitely how much this movie cost budget that I could find. Uh, the budgets ranged from $155 million to $237 million. I will say, uh, if it is at the lower end of this budget, no, I will not reveal that. I'll move on to our box office game. Guys, off of that pre uh, predicted, or not, or that, uh, the budget range of 155 to $237 million, <sighs> What a wide range. <laughs> I know. What do y'all think Robin Hood Dang. did at the uh, worldwide <laughs> box office? Uh, starting, and since it's AJ's miniseries, he will pick last. So I'll start with Irina. I feel like I started last time, too. I can go. I can start I, with I don't David. Mind. I don't mind. We'll start with David. Yeah, that's okay. It doesn't matter to me. This is going to be a hard one anyway. Uh, mm. I can go first because I have a hint. I mean, I don't know the number. Well, then you don't get really to play. <laughs> no, let him, let right, him okay. go. I'll give you a hint. Okay. So I do know that this movie financially did okay and moderately positively. Okay. It just it had such high expectations because of the high budget. So it technically wasn't a bust. So I'm going to say 500. Mm. 500. David. Okay. Well, I was going to lean even less than that, mainly because Iron Man 2, although we know... Not great in the Marvel franchise. Um, when it came out, I have a feeling that probably still made that Marvel people. money. It made that Marvel yeah. money, drawn on a lot of people. I also think that uh, How Do You Train Your Dragon got word of mouth. If the, if the first one, especially, like word of mouth probably spread yep. and brought more people in and, and away from this one. Although I know they're not it, the same genre. How to Train Your Dragon very much had avatar legs, but on a smaller scale. Yeah. And uh, Letters to Juliet, uh, Nicholas Sparks book movie. Of course, you would know that. Yeah, um, you know, you remember Dear John and, you know, Channing Tatum's Rise of Fame. Anyway, I've seen only one of those movies and it was Knights and Rodanth of all all of them. I don't even know that one. Yeah. Um, regardless, the I, notebook. I don't. <laughs> the Notebook. Oh, yeah. I've seen The Notebook yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah The Notebook, yeah. Sister anyway. You know, Sisterhood of the Traveling nope. Pants. I haven't seen that one. They, I, I don't wait, know. They did Joe. that one? I didn't see that one. I don't, is Any, that uh, two different movies? I, I don't think that's Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> yes, um, David. No, I, I'm going to say 400. 400. Arena. I'll go right in the middle, 450. David is the winner. Yes, sir. Uh, the movie, uh, AJ, you were correct. This movie was not a total bust, but it did make much less than what you predicted. Uh, it did around 322 million worldwide. Uh, so if that budget is at that 155 million level, it almost double. it, it, it did double it. Uh, however, if it's more close to the 237 million region, which I'm inclined to believe that it probably is, otherwise, like, like, why does that number exist? And like, it, in any case where there's a budget range, it's like, probably, it's probably the, the high one. one. What, yep. like, <laughs> what I had read was that the lower one was like the officially reported one. Yeah. But, you know, looking at this movie, you're like, that nah, can't be right. And yeah. some people kind of investigated further and came up with the second one. Yeah, it's a movie a that looks expensive, but I'm also like, 
if it was this expensive, I should have felt more fulfilled by everything that was. <laughs> like, it, it's so yep. weird. Um, but yeah, it did okay with all things considered. Like again, sandwiched between all these other blockbusters in the in the summer. Like this is a movie today, and I'm gonna keep throwing shade on tw- the 2018 Robin Hood. If you release this movie today. It would be a straight-up bomb. No one's interested in movies like this anymore, which is sad. Uh, but it kind of... It, there was still some of that... The fumes wafting off of, you know, the that Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe epic gladiator. Like, some of that... That was... That, that afterglow was still there. People still kind of cared about historical epics. And it managed to uh, get over that 100 million mark in the U.S., which I'm always like... Even if a movie costed an astronomical amount of money, usually getting over a hundred is at least like a kind of kind of a sigh of relief if you get over a hundred in the US. That means that people did go see it and there there will be at least decent like DVD sales and it will have a, a, a longer tail on the edge. Um that's just my personal like what I've built up to be like the number you kind of want to hit, even if uh, it doesn't end up in a profit. Like, there's all these Disney movies that bombed, like the John Carters and the Alice in Wonderland 2, like all these movies that should have gotten to $100 million and didn't. This one managed to do it, uh, so at least it has that to its name. It, it didn't make it much above $100 million. It made $105 million in the U.S., uh, but it, it did make it. So, you know, pat on the back for Robin Hood. Like, I, I will say this now. I do not think there will ever ever be a Robin Hood movie in the future unless it is an animated remake of the Disney <clears throat> classic that gets anywhere close to a hundred million in the US. So I, I You might have a passion project out wait, there somewhere. No future Robin Hood movie would make a hundred million? I don't think so. I domestically? I, huh. I I honestly think what you need to do like the only way I could see it happening at least in the current market, is doing a a team up of of characters from like uh uh just like Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. <laughs> yes, yeah. We, we need Yetis. We need a Robin Hood with Yetis. <laughs> I guarantee that one will be a big hit. <laughs> I want to see a Robin Hood where instead of he's being good at, at bow and arrows, he's good at throwing footballs. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, David, how do you feel about that? Robin Hood with footballs? No? He's shaking his head. He's shaking his head. This is, of course, reference to uh, David loving Mummy Toon the Dragon Emperor and awarding it a 7 out of 10 in one of our oldest episodes ever that you can find a snippet of in the feed. Um, but yeah, movie did not... O- overall, movie did not impress. And no matter how you slice it, I think this was just regarded as a minor disappointment and a case where the studio saw that they they made a decent amount of money didn't get into the black but we're like okay let's cut our losses we had our one robin hood one and done uh might have lost a little money in theatrical release but made it up in physical release and in my in my opinion they wisely chose to not make the next one because i don't think that this garnered a lot of like man i uh, interest in wow what happens next like i would like to see what happens next but the general public i do not think would have turned out for a sequel mm-hmm. do y'all agree yeah 100 yeah i w- but th- that said i would watch i personally would watch the sequel to this yeah. movie i i would want to see it but i 
yeah, with the with the reception from audiences and critics, uh, this would definitely be a case of if they made another one, it would probably make like half the amount of money that this one did. Um, there was, since this is a franchise talk now, uh, there was talk of a sequel, uh, mostly in interviews, though, and also just the movie ends in a way that mo- uh, movies that want a sequel do, you know, like we we this ends up being an origin story. And I think that's why a lot of people were disappointed. It is you do not get your traditional Robin Hood here. It is setting up him and his merry men and just like the 2018 version it's like oh the next movie will really get into the stealing from the rich and giving to the poor and all that fun stuff sheriff of nottingham will probably be a bigger character by the way we didn't even talk about him because he's non-existent almost in this movie the sheriff of nottingham he, he's kind of a caricature of himself in this yeah not really a huge plot point but man, I would much rather see Ridley Scott's next Robin Hood than Otto Bathurst's one that he, quote, churns out. Um, but yeah, Ridley Scott, uh, in an interview with the Times, I believe, was uh, asked about the uh, sequel potential for Robin Hood and said something along the lines of, here, let me pull it up. Uh, That's what he said. Yeah, he said, honestly, I thought, why not have the potential for a sequel? And that's the end of the quote. And uh, let's say we might pr- uh, let's say we might presume there's a sequel at the world premiere in Cannes. Crow declared he was willing, uh, ha- uh, quote, if I had the opportunity to address what happens next with Ridley and Kate, then great, let's do it. So uh, Russell Crowe was down. Ridley Scott was down. Yeah, you have to imagine if this movie had made what, AJ said 500 million, maybe even uh, I think 500 million would be that's actually exactly the line I would have this at where they would probably make a sequel. If it made 500 million, they might just be able to get that green light on another one just barely. Um, So I've talked enough. Would you all watch a sequel to this movie? Do you want one? Would you want one? I I think I would, but the time has passed for it. I think trying to watch a sequel for this now, I wouldn't be as interested just because I don't have as much faith in it. Mm-hmm. I, I would have if it there were more at the time, I believe. Yeah. If it was more in the time, I would have watched it. Um, I just don't know if I care enough about the Robin Hood world or lore enough to advocate for it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. I like period pieces and stuff, but I, the Robin Hood world never enticed me and i haven't seen I think, one that has that has I think fully established it yeah it's a part of that is it's very i mean it's been done a lot and so you're kind of you know to stand out you really have to stand out because there's so much robin hood material out there i think i would prefer a, a serial format like you know if something was really high production or even i don't know along the lines of like Rome, the HBO series, or or like Marco Polo, or something like that. That's like that type of historical, you know, but really well done. Uh, I would watch something like that. I would too. I've said it five times already, but yes, I would too. Uh, any final thoughts on Robin Hood 2010 before we close this one out? I'll take the deafening silence as a no. Uh, next week, we, uh, close out 
our discussions on all things Robin Hood with uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, the let, let me get the year Prince here. Of it is the 1991 film starring uh, Kevin Costner, directed by Kevin Reynolds. Kevin and Kevin. <laughs> uh, this is a movie that I've definitely seen, but it has been so long. I don't think I've seen this since like the maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, and I it feel does like... have the subtitle Prince of Thieves, at least to distinguish it. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like you probably have seen it since. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, not. Not recently, but I've I've seen it since yeah. that last time. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to get into our history with this one, break this one down. It, it's going to be almost a fresh watch for me, given how long it's been since I've seen this movie. So uh, I remember really liking it and uh, Kevin Costner's accent not being great, but still just liking it. Uh, so... We'll we'll see if all of that holds up, uh, if our opinions rise or fall. Uh, but yeah, this will be the the conclusion to our Robin Hood, uh, or at least the not the mini series, but the Robin Hood movies that we'll be covering. Yeah, the directly named Robin Hood, the English. With that said, we will see you next week for Robin Hood, nineteen ninety one. Goodbye. I once heard a wise man say that there are no perfect men, only perfect intentions.